You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Ah, got him. That should keep the first order off our backs. Nice work, Paul. Tim, are we set to make the jump? Yep. The end of the prime and coordinates for the rendezvous are set. All right. Strap in and let's get this intel delivered to the resistance. Punch it! You're listening to Star Wars. The saga continues. Your hosts, Kyle Avery, Tim Jirasi, and Paul Herman, are scouring the holonet for news and bringing you all of the latest updates on the future of the Star Wars universe. And the future is bright indeed. So we invite you to join us on this exciting journey as the saga continues. Hey there, Star Wars fans, and welcome back to a brand new episode of Star Wars The Saga Continues, your podcast for all the latest news and rumors on Star Wars Episode Nine and all the other exciting projects coming up in the Star Wars universe. But of course, this week we've got the two biggest, most recent ones to talk about. Uh, the Mandalorian is here, and it is awesome. Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order is here, and it is also awesome, and I'd rather go back and keep playing it than sit here and talk about it. So thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next time, and may the Force be with you. Uh, no, well, of course, <laughs> we are just getting started. As always, I'm your host, Kyle, and I've got my co-host, Tim, and Paul with me. How's it going, guys? What's up, guys, man? We're in that sweet spot of Star Wars that we've been dying hey, to get guys. into. <laughs> so this is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, thanks for pulling me away from Fallen Order. I just started playing it again for like the half hour before the show started, and I'm only... I'm not very far through it, but we'll talk about kind of obviously talk about the game. But yeah, this was a oh man, what a week! I don't yeah. think we've had a have we ever had a week besides we've had big weeks in Star Wars. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we, obviously, anytime a movie releases, especially something like Episode Seven. But think about this: Have we ever had a week like this? Never. I yeah, I don't think so. Especially I with two agree. especially with two episodes of The Mandalorian airing in the same week. Right. And so it just there to me and I think we we talked about this I think on the last episode too a little bit or maybe we did online, but it's just, it's a crazy time for Star Wars right now because it really is two eras and one is ending potentially and one is just beginning. And it's just, it's a weird, and again, I talked about a transition. It's just a crazy time. And last week, I think, is an even more important week than we realize. So, uh, but yeah, I, it's crazy. I want to really, really fast before we, we talk about it, I'm going to text you guys something uh, and talk about it on the, I'm going to go ahead and, and promote it on the on the show here. And it's not a, a shameless promotion. It's my, my nephew, my 21 year old nephew, got his first ever tattoo. And, You'll never guess what it is. It's of Darth Revan. Nice. And it looks incredible. And my my nephew's not a giant, giant Star Wars fan. He loves Star Wars, but he grew up on Knights of the Old Republic. My brother, his dad, he loved that game. And so he'd play it constantly. And so his son would also play it as well. And I'll never forget when I, when I bought the game on my iPad 
right around when my wife and I got married, he was hanging out and he was like, Oh, you have nice old public. I'm like, yeah, I'm like, I just got it. I just got into it then. Cause my, my brother had been telling me to buy it and, and play it for so many years. Or, and they're kind of, as our role, the, you know, the, the role playing game, a kind of thing, not really my, not really my game kind of of choice per se, but, uh, finally played it, loved it. And he was, I, I kind of encouraged him to get back into it, from me playing it and talking about it. And then, you know, there, my, bro- my brother got a tattoo as well. He had an Ewok tattoo or was getting an Ewok tattoo on his leg. Tell him that's a big mistake. <laughs> <laughs> no, dude, it's awesome. Um, and, uh, but, his son Casey got um, he got a Darth Revan tattoo and it looks incredible. I just posted it. I'll send it to you guys right now on my on my Twitter. But yeah, really cool and it inspired me. I need to get a, finally get a tattoo of uh, something Star Wars related. So anyway, thought that was pretty cool. Darth yeah. Revan, pretty, pretty. Oh yeah, uh, that is yeah. a pretty cool looking one. Yeah, I'm looking at your tweet right now. That's pretty sick. <laughs> yeah, so I like, I was, yeah. like the bottom is like paint melting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's let's uh, hurry up and get Darth Revan canonized. All right, Star Wars. Yes, please. Yes. I've been beating that drum for years. Um, But anyway, I mean, yeah, like you said, it was a crazy week for Star Wars. Um, And I think the biggest thing for me is not even, or I should say maybe the most impressive thing was not even the content itself, but it's just, it feels so good to have two big Star Wars projects out at the same time. And the reaction to both of them has just been overwhelmingly positive. Like, I mean, I think we all had high hopes for The Mandalorian, but it's pretty much met or exceeded everybody's expectations as far as I've seen. Um, and then Jedi Fallen Order, on the other hand, I think was more kind of up in the air. I know there was kind of some mixed reaction to some of the early footage that we saw from it at uh, E3. And I've always thought that the premise of the game sounded good, but then it was like, there was just kind of this feeling that like there was maybe more to it that we hadn't seen, but I was like, well, I don't want to get my hopes up. Maybe everything we're seeing like really is all there is to it. Um, And then of course, just EA hasn't had the best track record with Star Wars games so far. And there was a lot of... uh, you know, just kind of waiting for the other shoe to drop. It's like, okay, they say it's single player and there's no microtransactions and whatever, but like EA's gonna screw this up somehow. Um and they haven't. I mean, they've been true to their word. There's no DLC, there's no season pass, no microtransactions, nothing, and the game just had a smooth launch and has gotten really positive reviews. And so having that and the Mandalorian out at the same time, and again, if you it, it, me just looking at my twitter feed and all the star wars people that i follow there's no arguing there's no uh you know heavily debated stuff or stuff that's dividing people anywhere nearly as much as you know the last jedi did or anything like that um it's pretty much just everybody like posting gameplay clips of fallen order and talking about how much fun that is and then everybody gushing about the baby yoda from the mandalorian so um it's just been a really fun time to see everybody kind of come together and enjoy Star Wars. And I will say this, like, enjoy it while it lasts, because I doubt that we're all going to be that unified on the Rise of Skywalker, <laughs> just given the fact that it follows up The Last Jedi. But maybe J.J. Abrams will pull a rabbit out of his hat and surprise us. But um, even if that's not the case, like I said, just enjoy this wave for now. Yeah, it, just, it felt like a very special week for Star Wars. And I agree with both mm-hmm. with what you're saying, is how, you know, it's, 
you know, a big moment in Star Wars history where we're seeing the first live action Star Wars TV show. And it's just, you know, like you said, Kyle, meeting or even exceeding some of our expectations. And then just like a few days later, we get the second episode. Oh, and Jedi Fallen Order is out on the same day. <laughs> it's just more Star Wars goodness. And these fans are just eating it all up. And like you said, seeing the positive reaction online has been really refreshing to see. And just, you know, just real it was special. And it was a fun time. And I think it's going to last as long as, you know, we're getting new episodes every week of The Mandalorian and we're continuing to play Jedi Fallen Order. So this fun ride should last a good while and it's all going to culminate into the rise of Skywalker. So, I mean, I said it before, I said at the beginning of this episode how we we're that sweet spot of all this great Star Wars content coming on. It's like an onslaught and I'm just basking in all its glory and just enjoying every inch of it. It's just been so much fun. And I'm just glad, you know, it, that's what's great about this new era of live action Star Wars on TV is how it's just not this one week we're getting it. We're getting for several weeks now. That's what just makes it awesome how we'd have this to look forward to on a weekly basis. It's just so much fun. So that's just what makes it even better for me. Yeah, I think that that's the biggest thing for me, what Kyle said about how people seem unified. Does everyone love the Mandalorian the same? No, but that's not the point. The point is, what and what his point is, remains, and I have to second that, is that people seem to be enjoying it, and it's and I think most people agree that it's not terrible. It's not contradicting everyone's kind of feelings on what is Star Wars, what isn't Star Wars, and that's important. And I think that, you know, some, something something like Solo was just such, you know, it was such a negative connotation going into it for so many different reasons. And though I love Solo to death, this is something that most people are watching and now acknowledging, yeah, this not it's, that's not bad. And I think it's important. I think it's important to recognize what Star Wars can do and what the fan base can really get behind when you give them something that I think that majority of the fans will enjoy now to the extent of what they'll enjoy is, is remains to be seen and is debatable. But the point is, is that the Mandalorian has done something so far that we haven't seen in a while. Now, granted, we've only seen two episodes, but I think we'd all agree that after two episodes, the fact that so many people are just raving, raving about the show or even raving about a certain character it doesn't matter that if they if they just liked this the character that was it everything else was crap or they thought everything else was crap they would like just be like yeah I like that one character but yeah it, the rest of it's not very good we'd be hearing no. about it exactly yeah, they're yeah. gushing they're gushing about the character now there's a there the reason they're gushing about that one character we'll get into in a little bit is because the show is so good. And because it's so good, they're raving about that character like crazy. Because if it was bad around that one character they liked, they would be saying that, but they're yeah. not. And, and well, it, so... and also too, like I think, um, like in the couple days after each episode premiered, I think there was more general discussion around the show itself and just how good it was, and especially like the. Like, obviously, after the first episode premiered, there was a lot of talk about the whole show in general. I think after after episode two premiered, at least that day, I saw a lot of discussion about the whole episode in general and on all the great stuff about it. And it's like, now that we're a couple days removed from that, it's like, okay, yeah, 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 we know it's good. Now let's go back and talk about how cute that Yoda baby is. 
Um, yeah. And that's just like the one exactly. thing that everybody's gushing over. But yeah, like you said, there's been a lot of like, that's not the only thing people are talking about. It might be the only thing they're talking about now on a Monday when, you know, we're now waiting for the next episode to come out. But um, yeah. I mean, each time a new episode has come out so far, I've seen a lot of positive discussion about various different elements of it and not just one thing people are focusing on. And I think that this is and this is important. I think it really is important to show, I think, Lucasfilm, and I think to show each other, too. Not obviously three of us. Three of us can disagree and still love each other and all that good stuff. But, I mean, the problem is outside of us and a lot of other fandoms and, and circles or whatever or sections of fandom or whatever, whatever, I don't even want to acknowledge some of those other fans, but that we, you know, you know what I'm talking about. But the thing is, it seems to be for the gen for the majority of Star Wars fans, it's really been yeah, the Mandalorian's good, and they're gonna keep watching it. Again, one person might lo- love it, one person might like lo- think it's the best thing Disney's put out since they've you know put out maybe, possibly, probably. But the thing <laughs> is, you know, but the thing is, I think we all agree that it's it's Star Wars and it's worth watching and it's worthy of being made in the first place. And I have a lot of I have a lot of like stuff to talk about obviously right now, so. But I, I just want to say that it's it's just a, a change of times, and and I'm really looking forward to this new era that we're walking into because it really is, guys. This is a mm-hmm. brand new era, and mm-hmm. I and I'm so so excited to one talk about it and that we're it is a new, it is a new era, and we get to talk about it like together. Like I'm so excited that I get because I, I want you guys to know and I'm, this, this is totally like impromptu. I, I apologize really fast. But I'll never forget when when I was listening to you guys um, for the saga continues and all the the saga films and the episode seven and Rogue One and, and that new Disney era, and it's, it was exciting. And I remember being like, "Oh man, I wish I." Was. I remember telling myself, "I wish I was on their show. I could talk to these guys." Because you know, even before I barely knew Tim and I didn't know you at all, Kyle, I wanted so badly to have like something like this to to, to talk about something so exciting, a new era to, to enter into, and I'm. So excited and honored that I'm on the show with you guys now and to be able to do this in a new era. So I really do. I think it's a big deal. So special for me that now I get to talk about something so exciting in, in this new era of Star Wars. So well, yeah, yeah, and I mean that's why I started this show in the first place. Like I used to listen to you know Mike and Matt talk about uh, Clone Wars over on Frontlines, and um, you know I like as much as I enjoyed that I was like man I don't want to just keep listening to people talk about Star Wars like I want to yeah. talk about it you know they I would like talk to myself in the car as I'm listening to podcasts and you know Same. try to yeah. chime in on the conversation <laughs> you know or like they'd be trying to remember this uh, the name of some character and I'm like it's this one um <laughs> so I was like yeah I just got to you know start something up and uh get to talk about it myself so um but yeah I mean like you said this is it really is I mean, based on the success of The Mandalorian so far, and just off these first two episodes, it really does seem like this is the beginning of uh, of a new era for Star Wars. I mean, we all know how excited everybody is about the, the Kenobi show, um, and the Cassian show seems like it's going to be good, too. And we don't know what the heck is going on with the movies. And so it does seem like the the future of Star Wars, at least for the foreseeable future, is going to be on Disney+. And this, uh, it's off to a promising start. Um, yeah. Yeah, so anyway, anything let's, like the Mandalorian, that's totally fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's going to serve that purpose. Um, all right, well, let's break it down and talk about, we'll start, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about each episode at a time and do a, a little breakdown of it. And then, of course, we'll talk about Fallen Order at the end, too. Um, but first, uh, so so the first episode of The Mandalorian, 
I will just say, and, you know, again, we'll break it down and talk about specific elements of it. But first reaction to it, um, I liked it. I mean, I, I liked it a lot, obviously. It was different than I was expecting. Um, both episodes so far have been shorter than I was expecting. I think, you know, we all just assumed it was going to be like an hour-long live action show and every episode would be like 45 to 60 minutes. Um, but they've been like 39. So it's like General and- Grievous then, huh? yeah yeah exactly (laughs) the mandalorian you're shorter than i expected um wow so yeah they're they're shorter they're smaller scale um kind of just and again just following really the one character so far i mean the characters that we saw in the trailers and stuff leading up to it i mean we're two episodes in we haven't even met cara dune yet we've seen grief karga in like one scene um the most prominent side character so far has been Kuil the Ugnaught, who I think is probably my favorite character of the show so far, and I'm sure a lot of other people would say the same. Uh, but that guy's awesome. I have spoken. Um, <laughs> but, you know, and then IG-11. Like, we thought they were all going to be together, like, as a crew, or at least I did. Um, and obviously the Mandalorian would be the central character, but I thought he was going to, you know, kind of meet these characters along the way, and they'd all kind of team up. But it really is like a solo adventure at least for now um i really do think like people keep saying that they think ig 11's coming back i think he was a one and done um and i don't know if we're gonna see kuil again after the second episode um but i don't know just so it was it's got kind of a different feel than i was expecting just you know really focused on that one character um and just kind of this like small scale adventure, but it's still got that Star Wars charm to it. It looks fantastic. The soundtrack is phenomenal. Um, mm. Gosh, I don't even know where to start with this. Like, I guess, well, here I'll I'll start at the beginning of the episode and get my negatives out of the way first. I did not really like Whoa, the blue, negatives. The the <laughs> I did not enjoy the blue fishy guy like making his prolonged bathroom joke that took up an entire scene (laughs) like that felt like something out of guardians of the galaxy or some other Mm. like sci-fi comedy movie that didn't belong in star wars especially because and i know it's a big galaxy and there's a lot of different alien species but i feel like most aliens that we've seen in star wars either speak a different language or they speak with an accent or they at least speak with some kind of distinguishing feature to their voice. You know, if you think of, like, Admiral Akbar is all gruff and it's a trap. Um, and this guy, he was just kind of like Joe off the street. And, like, his voice did not match the, you know, again, he looked like some kind of aquatic alien species. And in Star Wars, I would expect it to have almost like kind of a bubbly sound to his voice or something like that. Um, so it was just like this offbeat humor that didn't really work for me. Um, and the guy just wouldn't shut up until the Mandalorian froze him in carbonite. And I was, uh, glad to see, uh, him finally shut him up and get on with his business. Um, and then also, I mean, I liked all the kind of different set pieces and things that we got to see at the beginning of the episode, but the pacing was a little bit, it felt like it it took a little while to find its groove because we were just jumping in with this character on you know he's obviously in the middle of a mission to find a bounty and we don't really know who the character is or what he's doing or you know then he goes back and we're introduced to grief karga and the other mandalorians there on the planet and as much again as much as i liked each of those like individual scenes it felt like we were kind of just jumping from thing to thing um and not that it was bad it just felt like uh, like there it was still like the episode was still kind of finding its footing 
Um, and then I feel like once he went to the desert planet and he met Kuwil and he actually had an objective, like something that he was looking for, um, I think it really started coming together and the end of the episode was fantastic. Um, and, you know, again, we'll talk more about all those individual scenes and characters and stuff. But for you guys, what was uh, kind of your initial impressions of the first episode or even just like of the beginning of it? I mean, what was, you know, just sort of first thoughts on it? Yeah, for me, as I was watching it, it felt surreal that for the first time ever we're seeing I'm seeing a live action Star Wars. As I felt, well, I was, I'm going to say movie because that's what it felt like as I was going into it. We've said time and time again now watching the trailers i'm seeing new live action star wars but i'm not in a movie theater right now <laughs> i mean just sitting in my room on my tv and i'm seeing brand new live action star wars footage for the first time so that in itself felt surreal but yet it felt awesome i mean it just it's a great feeling of knowing that this is like we've been talking about a new era for star wars and this is how it's going to be and it was amazing to me just going right into it but I mean, I enjoyed the heck out of the first episode. Um, I do agree with you about the beginning sequence of that main uh, character, that blue fish guy. We don't, I'm blanking on his name and I don't remember his species, even if they even said it, but. Yeah, I think they did say the name of his species. It's like a mythol or something. I might be thinking of something else, but he, because he says it, he's like, oh, if you've never seen uh, one of these, you know, molting before, then, you know, you're a lucky guy. (laughs) Um, But I don't think think they were said the the character's name, but yeah, we know the species. Yeah, all that dialogue there is in the ship. I, I agree with you on that. That's the only moment where it kind of felt like this is star wars tv <laughs> and not like the movies because it just had that different feel in that opening sequence mainly with that character just kept going on and on about you know what if trying needed to use the restroom and what it's like for a species to <laughs> use the restroom so all that stuff it just you know like they're trying to go for a little humor that it wasn't really clicking but once you know he got turned into carbonite <laughs> the mandalorian just sneaks up behind him he turn, throws him in that room and just turns on the carbon freezing and he's you know that's the end of that character mm-hmm. <laughs> that was like you said definitely glad to see that and then for me anyway right after that that's where it really got going but i really like that opening sequence of him going into that bar or cantina you know it had that classic western feel where you know the gunslinger comes in he doesn't say a word and there's people in the bar trying to pick a fight with him and then he just shows you know <laughs> what a cool character he is off the bat just you know not saying a word but showing that he could take those enemies out with ease. And we, we saw a lot of that stuff in the trailer, but it was kind of nice to see it all play out in one scene. So I did like that. And then once we got into everything with, you know, him meeting Grief Karga, getting the information about uh, the new bounty, and then, you know, stuff we've seen from those celebration clips and the bootlegs, but seeing it you know, all play out, good quality as in, in sequential order, flowed really, it, to me it flowed good once we got there. But like you said, Kyle, once we got onto that planet where he, you know, is going to get his bounty, things really kicked into another level for me where, you know, really showed this is what the Mandalorian is going to be about. And we got some, you know, great character moments with him and Qeel. I'm probably butchering his name still, <laughs> but, um, but then we get a killer action sequence with him and IG 11. And I'm, like I said, we're going to go on to detail all this stuff, but I just love that whole ending sequence. And then you just top it off with the surprise of surprises i mean talk about the unexpected i mean that's what was amazing about it for me where 
you had all this buzz surrounding the episode, how it's going to be a big reveal. They're going to introduce a big character or they're going to reveal something about a previous character. So there's all this buzz surrounding the end of this episode. So I knew that going into it. But man, if you were to give me a thousand guesses of what that ending could be, I never would have guessed what we got in the episode. No. And I cannot be happier that we got what we got and I can't wait to talk about it. So I was just, I loved the episode after watching it for the first time. I immediately wanted to watch it again. But so, yeah, I enjoyed the heck out of the first episode. It, to me, it lived up to my expectations besides feeling a little weird at first with that one character, but just a great experience watching live action Star Wars as a TV show for the first time. So I'll agree with Kyle that, and I've said this before, the opening scene of The Mandalorian is clunky. It's It's got a weird, it's, it's paced very weird. And I don't know if, <clears throat> I don't know if that was on purpose to like, I don't know. We know Dave Filoni directed the first episode. And I don't know if this was a byproduct of that or is he shooting exactly what was on. Um, you know, did, he, did he shoot this by himself in a sense to where he was just doing, you know, I'm going to do exactly what John Favreau wrote on, on the page, et cetera, et cetera. But I don't know. It, it definitely is a little weird at first. I still like it. It's still it's still fun to watch. But like we've all said, I think most everyone agrees that after the first, what, five minutes or whatever, it kicks into high gear. And, you know, after he throws uh, the mithril, whatever his name is, um, into the carbonite thing, it, it really takes off. And I think for me, this show is 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 as good as I anticipated is it better than I anticipated? It's about what I expected, but I had high expectations too. This show, I think to me is it shows us what star Wars is capable of on a level that doesn't have to be on a giant scale, but on a smaller, but still bigger scale. But yet you can still like you can manage it with a, with a modest budget and whatnot, or a, a manageable budget for TV. And to me, the Mandalorian succeeds in every way possible. And I think that you just got to have the right ideas for Star Wars. And what I buy that meaning, you have to know what works in Star Wars, but you also have to know what to, you know, what to try things with, try new things with, with older things and mash them together. And again, it, it's just, it's amazing to look at from a standpoint that we're, the the Mandalorian is not just a you know a whole rehash or not a rehash but a, a whole brand new like we have to reinvent the wheel. No no no. What I, I find it so funny is that it's literally taking Boba Fett and just giving him a it's as simple as making Boba Fett taking Boba Fett and making him a little more of an anti-hero even more than he was already because he already was an anti-hero you could argue. But now you take him, you have a little more of a hero bent on the character. And and obviously, it could have been Boba Fett. It very well could have. But yeah, I didn't. still think that sometimes where, you know, this could easily just be a Boba Fett right. story. Mm -hmm. No, I, but I think there's a reason why. Oh, me too. Yeah. But, but at the same time, what I also find funny are the people who remember who used to, like, you know, 
say and complain, I don't need a Boba Fett movie. <laughs> that crap. And I and just be like, you know, shut up. Just because you don't want it doesn't mean people, other, other people don't want it. And what's so funny about it, though, is that those same people aren't, I don't think they're complaining about the Mandalorian. And I find it hilarious because it very well, this is not exactly a, it, this, this character is derivative of Boba Fett. I don't say it as a bad thing at all, but it's very derivative of that character. Now we're getting more information about this character and he has a lot more different backstory. And I think that the fact that he's not just a clone of Jango Fett that we got from the, the prequel trilogy, again, that's not a knock, but I'm just stating for the, you know, right now that he has a more mysterious past and there's more, a little more uh, interesting things about him in a sense to where, where does he come from, et cetera, et cetera. And you set those things up in this, in the first episode, people are, are, are in trance and they're engaged with the character, but because we already know what Boba Fett is and where he comes from. And he only had a few speaking lines and he was popular in the nineties. And now it's cool to hate on him. It's a little bit different. I just find it hilarious that the Mandalorian has so much success and it really owes what everything to Boba Fett. So yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, you said it's kind of derivative of Boba Fett, but I say it's more, it's almost like a Boba Fett fantasy come to life. It's like yes, the Mandalorian yes. is doing everything that people have always wanted to see Boba Fett doing, or it's kind of like what people imagined mm-hmm. the character of Boba Fett was that exactly. we never saw on screen. And instead of resurrecting Boba Fett, they're just like, well, we'll just make another Mandalorian and tell the same story. Yeah, and I think that's what's what's key here is a lot of people have said the, said the same thing about Kylo Ren with Anakin. They said that was the Anakin we deserved. One of my good friends, uh, Jim, um, uh, Pastor O Disaster, great great Twitter follow, good friend of mine, love Mr. Jim. Um, he texted me, Kylo Ren is the uh, Anakin we never got, and I said, oh, agree, disagree. But I understand where he's coming from because here's the deal. Kylo Ren and, and, and like Boba Fett with the Mandalorian are very much what I think we anticipated those characters to go through or have the kind of history we kind of expected. And of course, George Lucas had other ideas. Now, I don't think George was wrong either. I think George did the right thing and kind of doing his, and what he, his own vision. And in the end, I think it's in the end of working in the long run and even better. But I think if you look at the, you set up best here, Kyle, that, the Mandalorian TV show very much is what people expected a Boba Fett to be in the 90s. If you read the comics from the 90s, he he's a bounty hunter. And he's kind of he's a little more of a he's a little more of a bad guy, you could say. But really, he's very much an antihero like we have here on this the series. And that's again, that's not a bad thing. I'm just saying that this is very much what a lot of writers and and fans and and what have you have ex- wanted to have Boba Fett in their films or in their to have a backstory. And I feel that John Favreau kind of saw that and instead of being like, "Oh, well that ship sailed." He's like, "No. Why don't we just do a whole different like let's do a whole different series about a Mandalorian, but what's 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 take this Mandalorian character and take that idea how awesome looking this character is and make him that classic cowboy character, the man with no name." And you see in that first episode those tropes, those awesome tropes, and you get to see one of the things that I think that's so underrated in 
in science fiction, fantasy, or superheroes, or whatever. And you know where I'm going with this, guys, especially you, Tim. You know exactly where I'm going with this. One of the biggest things that I get so irritated at, and so many people, including J.J. Abrams, including Ryan Johnson, especially you, Ryan Johnson, <laughs> is the fact that you can't. People are so afraid to have masks on their on their main characters. We gotta see emotion on the people's faces. Mm-hmm. They gotta take their mask off at some point. No, no, you don't. Look at the Mandalorian's first episode. It is. And I and I'm 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 going to ask this question after I'm done with my rant here. But my, my here's my thing: you do not have to always show the face of the main character. You can give them an awesome mask, costume, or whatever, and you know what? You can convey just as much emotion through the dialogue and the body language of that character. And I think it's done a beautiful. They've done a beautiful job, Pedro Pascal. It's done a beautiful job, and I don't know if that's him behind the costume. We'll get that. I'll get that question in a second. But with the voice, his voice inflections alone, he's done an amazing job of conveying emotion and everything that I need to know from that character without seeing his face, eyebrows, or whatever go up and down and look mad, look sad, look happy, <laughs> smile. It doesn't matter. I don't need that. I get the inflections from his voice and the body language of the actor playing the Mandalorian enough to get exactly what I need. And I think this is such an underrated aspect of this show. You do not see this person's face. It is so easy to take his helmet off and have him be Pedro Pascal, a handsome man, walk around, you know, and then put his helmet on for like two minutes and then take it off. That never happens. In fact, he visits a freaking armory of other Mandalorians that don't take their mask Oh, it's amazing. <laughs> and I, just wanted, I just want you all to know how important that is because it is such a lost art and it's so Star Wars because guess what? Yeah, Kylo Ren takes his mask off and, and breaks it in, in episode eight because my mask. And you know what? <laughs> guess what? Darth Vader never took off his mask. Well, he would have died if he did. <laughs> But, but, but you didn't have to write that into the movie. You could have easily written around it. Or you could have said, oh, he can take his mask off whenever he wants. But he didn't. George Lucas he's a perfect him. example of showing emotion through that mask, too. Yeah. Exactly. I've said a lot. Yeah. But I will – I Paul, as much as I love Kylo Ren's mask – and this is diverting into a whole different conversation that we should just <laughs> know, save for our last <laughs> Jedi commentary episode that I, we're going to do all next right, month. All right. I love Kylo Ren's mask, but I also think it is important to see Ben Solo underneath that mask because it's it's like it's almost like how you can differentiate Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. Like they're the same character, but they're two sides of the same coin. Like okay, all right, right. Like I, I get what you're saying. Like so, it's it's imp- it's it's not just about oh we need to see his eyebrows to see emotion. Like it's it's about seeing a different side of the character and him no, and know. his relationship with what that mask represents. But now, I also agree with you that especially with the way that the character of the Mandalorian is written. Like obviously, yeah, they could show his face, but I think obviously they've intentionally created the premise of the show to be. You know, to like you said, that Western trope of like the man with no name and and the outlaw that just walks into town and nobody really knows who he is, but he immediately you know draws everybody's attention because of his striking appearance, whether it's you know his hat or whatever. Or in this case, it's his helmet. And of course, also, I think in Star Wars it works because Mandalorian armor is just freaking cool. It's like 
you know, I, I don't know if they wanted to challenge themselves to be like, hey, how can we show emotion without ever seeing the character's face? Or if it was just like, hey, how much screen time can we get a cool looking Mandalorian mask on the screen? Um, but either way, yeah, like you said, that's a really great part of the show. Um, and Pedro Pascal has done a really great job. I mean, you would think that as much as he is, you know, sort of being promoted as like the, the main star of the show and everything, it might seem a little weird that you never see his face. But I think that speaks to his acting performance. Um, like not everybody could pull that off because it does, like you said, you do still like, even though your face is covered, you then have to convey those emotions and stuff um, through the tone of your voice, through your body language. Um, and I was even reading one interview where, or maybe I was either watching a video interview or reading an interview with, uh, I think Dave Filoni or John Favreau. And they were talking about, um, basically using the, the Mando again, making that comparison to old Western movies, using like the Mandalorian's visor, almost as like the brim of a cowboy hat and sort of conveying emotions or what he's looking at or what he's thinking or whatever, based on the way he, you know, lowers or tilts the helmet or the visor. And that's kind of like your, um, I don't know, your, your eyeline, I guess. So, mm. um, yeah, it's really cool what they've been able to do with that. And I, I want to say too for Kylo Ren really fast that I think I like what they've done. He, he kind of, at least from the first awakens, I won't, we'll get, we'll say last year for later, but the Force Awakens, I like the fact he went back and forth with the mask. I have no problem with that. But I think what, what's underrated about the show is that they're depending on the look of the Mandalorian by itself. And I think that's a very that's – that's, that is not easy, especially with the first – with the weight of the first show on Disney+, Plus, a giant well, – a big thing like Disney+, Plus anyway, to be its, its main show is a big deal. And the fact that they go with the design and, and that I, and that creative choice is a big deal. And I think I, I just, you can't undermine it. And I think the Mandalorian is just, it's so perfect because of that. I really, really do. I, I think the fact that it stays in character, it feels like Star Wars. It doesn't feel like it's trying to be a, a film or, or a TV series that's, that's trying to be, hey, we're 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 kind of Star Wars, and but we're also going to make sure we adhere to as many mainstream audience people as we can, which they they are and they aren't because again it feels so lived in Star Wars to me. I mean, with with the fact that we have this this Mandalorian character again, Mandalorian, a, a pulverizing name in Star Wars fandom that is that has amazing costume. He looks great. He's acting great. It's a big deal the fact that he never takes off his mask or his helmet, excuse me. And it's so Star Wars. That's very in line with what the comics and the books and everything that came before it. And I think that's a big deal. I think that that you cannot just undermine that. Yeah, we all are used to it, but the fact it's very easy to look at Rebels and look at Clone Wars. They took their mask off all the time, but they're not doing it here. I, I just think it's so rad that we're getting something that's so dedicated to being a deeper part of the mythology. And I think that is an aspect of the show that I think is not just with the, with the helmet, but just in general, it's about furthering the mythology of the underworld and this different aspect of star Wars that we've only touched on in parts of the films and maybe in solo. And that's it. And maybe some, and a few tidbits here or there in the clone wars and rebels, but mainly 
it's just been in the films and in Solo. Yeah, but now, I mean, Clone Wars showed a lot of the criminal underworld too. But this is showing yeah. this is showing a whole different section of it though, and it's an, in a whole different time period where it's post Empire. Um, but even, you know, if we go get back to like the actual story of the episode, because then, you know, we kind of talked about the beginning and then he goes back and takes all his bounties to grief Karga. And we hear mm-hmm. him talking about all this stuff that we've never really heard reference before talking about like tracking fobs and, and these little mm-hmm. pucks with the bounties on. Them. I mean, we did kind of see that in clone wars. Um, like when, a, when Ventress is a bounty hunter and they've got like the little holograms that show all the bounties and stuff. But, um, although I will say that that is one other part of the episode that I thought was a little corny. The fact that like every bounty they go after, they have, they basically give them like a GPS that points you right to where the person is. I'm like, well, what's the point of that? Like you don't have to be a good hunter if you got something that tells you exactly where the thing is that you're hunting. Um, so I, I mean, and that didn't like completely, you know, pull me out of it or anything, but I was like, eh, it's whatever I could kind of do without that. I didn't think that was necessary. I, I think you just as well could have explained that this guy, you know, he gets information on his targets and then he's good at tracking them down. Um, but, um, you know, just here. I Greek- think that's kind of something to show too, where maybe it's just something that the guild has that gives, especially in the second episode tips, the Mandalorian off as far as like, you know, he's not the only one in the guild going after this bounty. Yeah. And Cause once he sees that, that's when he, you know, realizes that he's, you know, a lot of other bounty hunters in the guild are trying to get what he has. So I think that could be a little reason for it too, just to have something to know that, you know, there's others that are in that same uh, guild that he's in that's trying to get his bounty too. Yeah. But I mean, at the same time, we don't know that those guys were from the same guild. Um, that's the impression I got, especially in the second episode where he fights the Trandoshans and he recognizes that same uh, detector. And it's like, he's well, almost like, again, with IG-11, he, that was a surprise. And then, he sees the Trandoshans is like, oh, so like it's more in the guild that are trying to get after him. So when yeah. he just thought he was the only one who took it. But remember, he didn't because he didn't get the tracking fob from Grief Karga. He got it from uh, Werner Herzog's character. So and, you know, he's wearing like Imperial symbols and got Stormtrooper guards. So he could be hiring bounty hunters from wherever. Um and Grief yeah, Karga, so- as far as we know, is the leader of the Bounty Hunters Guild. But, I mean, there could be several different bounty hunting organizations and there could be, you know, freelancers and stuff. So I don't necessarily know that those guys were part of the same guild. Um, but they could be. That's I mean, true. I Maybe, just- even if it's not part of the same guild, just the fact that, you know, he probably thought he was the only one who took the job from Warner Herzog's character, just named the client, I think, right now. So he's not still probably tipping him off that, you know ever seen others with that same tracking device yeah is letting him know that you know there's he's hiring other bounty hunters besides him yeah and i, I definitely trouble i definitely did pick up on that that like oh these are other bounty hunters and there are other people that are not just after him for whatever like they're all after the same thing um but i did i wasn't like oh grief cargo betrayed him and sent other people after him or something like that um but yeah, it, it was cool getting to see, uh, you know, just learn more about like the Bounty Hunters Guild and stuff. And then, of course, he sends him to the Imperial guys. And then he goes to that little like Mandalorian enclave. And uh, that was a huge surprise to me. I mean, we Same had here, seen yeah. <laughs> there were a couple things that leaked online, like right before the show came out that indicated that there would be other Mandalorians in the show or like at least one other one. Um well, we had seen, and maybe you guys didn't watch this, but in a couple of, like, the TV spots or whatever, we saw uh, a couple brief shots of, like, that armorer uh, Mandalorian. Um, 
that makes the the Beskar armor for him. So I knew that there would be at least one more Mandalorian in there, and then there was like an action figure that leaked of another one. Um, but tell me the, if you guys thought of this when you saw the Mandalorian who made you know his first armor piece out of the Beskar. She had like a different type of Mandalorian helmet, but it also had like some horns on there. Did you think she's possibly could have been? A previous like mall follower on Mandalore. Mm, oh, you know I, what? I, I didn't even that. think of that. Because yeah. obviously, I I think the design. You know, it looks like the female Mandalorians from Clone Wars and Rebels, where they have that um, that visor that's a little bit more rounded, and that we know was kind of uh, Dave Filoni created that, and it was kind of inspired by the look of an owl. Um, but then this armorer in particular, also, you know, like you said, that it was just like this bronze helmet that looked kind of hefty and had some spikes on it and almost looked like a, a Spartan helmet or something like that too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it kind of had that look to it, but I was really surprised because I didn't know, you know, again, like we don't even know the name of our main character. We've just been referring to him as the Mandalorian and coming into this, I was like, well, do I, I assumed maybe that people just referred to him as that because he was, either the only Mandalorian left, although I didn't necessarily think that they would go that route, or at least whatever planet he's on or whatever people he associates with, that he's the only Mandalorian they know. And so they just call him the Mandalorian. Um, but then when he walks in and there's a whole bunch of Mandalorians, I was like, oh, well, this opens up a whole bunch more questions about, okay, so who actually is this guy? Like, what what's so special about our main character that we're following him and not any of these other Mandalorians? And where does he sort of fit in with the hierarchy? And why is there just like a whole enclave of Mandalorians just hanging out on this planet? So um, that opens up a lot of questions that I would like to see explored in future episodes and gives us, you know, a lot of potential for future stories, I think, especially at the pace they're going right now, where each of these episodes are pretty short and tends to just follow our main Mandalorian character, uh, you know, on his adventures. I'm like, this is stuff that we might not get into till later in the season, or we know they're already working on season two right now. So it's like, it's not the type of thing where I'm like, okay, well next episode, I need all these answers. It's like, I think they're planting a lot of seeds to give themselves material to work with in the future. I think that what I, what I love about that scene, the end is it enclave? Is that what? Was that what? It's I mean, called? that's what I. That's just what I called it. I mean, I. Well, you know, I'm just, I want to make sure I'm pronouncing the word right. Oh I can't yeah, yeah. Words. Well, one of the reasons why I thought that was very interesting is because we we knew about Mandalorian culture from the Clone Wars, right, and Rebels. Mm-hmm. We know that Filoni is kind of helped usher in the Mandalorian canon culture with George Lucas and then later on with Rebels. What I found interesting is, do you guys ever, do you guys ever watch those special features as much as I do with the Clone Wars, especially, especially the, oh yeah, oh yeah, of course seasons. They're fantastic. And I, they are such a lost art and I'm so bummed that we don't get them as much as we, we should or something like, like them anyway. And anyway, if you watch the Mandalorian uh, season two special features, really interesting. I'll never forget when Dave Filoni. Wait, are you talking about Clone Wars? To... Yeah, Clone Wars. Oh, okay. Was... You said the Mandalorian season two. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. Mandalorian or yeah. Or I'm talking about the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian Clone Wars episodes. Yeah. Yeah, yes, I got yes. you. So, which are super those... good, by the way. I just rewatched yeah. those recently. Yeah, same. 
So when, but what's interesting on the special features is that Filoni kind of retells when George said, we're going <laughs> to talk about Mandalorian. He's like, okay, uh, <laughs> we've got some of this. And, uh, some of this. You know, so basically you could tell he was nervous because of how much, I don't want to say baggage, because that's not really what what he said. That's what I'm kind of... Well, just how much has been established already. Exactly. And and that's what... And he kind of showed uh, George this, and George was like, nah, you know, kind of (laughs) excited. And and I know it caused a lot of people upset back in the day. Even I knew that. I thought that was interesting when I I finally watched those episodes. Um, Anyway, the reason I bring it up is because... George had gone on records or basically said, no, no, Dave, we're going to do this. What I want to do. And Dave was like, cool, you're the boss. I'm going to, you know, go in line and we're going to, he, and I think he did, he did a great job of fleshing out what George wanted. And then he also did a great job in rebels kind of continuing that. Right. What I find fascinating is with this enclave scene is that it's almost a callback to the legends material. Mm hmm. And I think that that's what's, and again, I don't, I'm not going to pretend and sit, sit here and say, oh, I know so much about Mandalorian Legends. I do not. Like, I, I read some, I read a bunch of comics. I know the Karen Travis Republic Commando books are, are famous for a lot of introduction uh, or a lot of Mandalorian lore and things like that. So I'm not going to pretend I know that. I don't. I've not read it. Like I said, I've read a bunch of the comics. And, but either way, what I find fascinating is that this is a different sect of Mandalorians altogether. The fact they don't take off their helmets, you have the kids with the helmets on. And I, what I find fascinating is that this is a different thing that George and John are diving in, or excuse me, uh, John and Dave are diving into that is going to still be a part of the greater Mandalorian culture, but it's a total different sect and I think that that's what's so cool is that Dave now knows, like, hey, you know what? George created this on this Mandalorian idea. Let's create our own Mandalorian idea because obviously there's going to be multiple things of the Mandalorian culture. Even look at the uh, the uh, what happened on um, season five, right? The fact that Mandalore was in civil war basically mm-hmm. um, because of what of Duchess Satine and, and Darth Maul and all that stuff. So. What I love is that instead of instead of being, well, uh, we have no ruler, we're pacifists, but now we're warriors. Uh, you know, no, no, they've actually spread out in the galaxy from what we're seeing, and it's almost like this underground culture now, not just on Mandalore, but it's Mandalorian's a way of life, not just a, a way of on on a planet. So, the fact they're doing this. It's so cool, and it's a different idea. And again, expanding on the mythology, not just taking it and going, well, we have to fit ourselves into this because George wants it. No, no, no. They're taking what George wants, and they're also taking these ideas that had that were there before George and expanding on the ideas and making the armor even more important than even George was anticipating. And I think that's a good thing. I think I don't think George, what George wanted was always the only way or the right way all the time, but they're expanding on this. And I think we're seeing the seeds of something that I think we all assume again, we all assumed when we first saw Boba Fett and we all thought was going to happen. We're seeing those ideas or something like that being fleshed out more in the Mandalorian TV show through this enclave. And I cannot wait to see what that means going forward because we don't know what it means, but the fact that we have, again, we have 
kids running around with helmets on. That's a pretty big implication. And also the fact that he talks about being a foundling, another really giant thing that he's, is he's, he's not even by blood. It seems like that he is Mandalorian, but he's a found Mandalorian and he's adopted the, the ideas and cultures of being a Mandalorian and he has taken it on on himself. And I find it fascinating and also very awesome that someone, even, even though it's not by blood, they are now taking on that mantle of being a Mandalorian. So I, I find yeah, well, and find that was very... that was big in the old EU. Like I think that was the the origin of uh, of Jango Fett too. Was that he yeah. was like adopted into the oh, yeah. Mandalorian culture? They they were essentially yeah. nomads. I mean, they were like this big tribe of warriors, and they would just take on anybody that wanted to become part of their culture. And Clone Wars kind of changed that to where like they're all from the planet Mandalore and. Um, you know, you have Prime Minister Almec when he's like, oh, Jangle Fett, you know, he was just a common bounty hunter in some Mandalorian armor. Like, he wasn't one of us. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, even just that idea that, um, and we see, like, that, the those brief flashbacks of, uh, him as a child with, um, you know, everybody getting gunned down and stuff on his home planet. And I was a little disappointed, Tim. I felt like you, because I know you hate when we see stuff in trailers that doesn't make it into the movie. And I was like, come on, man, where are the battle droids um, that we well, saw in, in the trailer? But I'm hoping that we get uh, maybe a more fleshed out version of that scene later down the line. Yeah, that's my thing with it, because I think that's not the only time we're going to see him think about that moment in his life. Yeah. And I think we'll get more flashbacks and then we'll see the battle, super battle droids we saw in the trailer, the separatist airships. But that was just a surprise in itself for me when I was watching it, because I'm um, going in. We were talking about it when we saw the trailer, where we saw that moment with the, the family and that little kid where I thought, that maybe was going to be the bounty he was after, but no, that ends up being him mm -hmm. <laughs> as a little kid. And I thought that was fascinating. And like you said, Paul, that whole scene with the other Mandalorians was just a great surprise to me and just, just opened the world up so much and just gave us more to look forward to in the series and just such a great character moment, I think, for the Mandalorian. I love how it was directed and edited where it's such a big moment that he's getting that armor forge from the Beskar and it's just a small piece, but you just see how important it is for him. And that's what and he's taking it as he's watching it being forged. We see his face again, going back just to focusing on the helmet and seeing that um, that emotion coming across where you can just tell he's reminiscing about that moment in his life when it cuts back to that flashback of that moment of that village getting attacked by the separatists. And I have another theory about that. I'll get to later in the end, but and it might be a little far off, but it could be kind of cool. But. We'll save that for later. But it was just great to see all that stuff unfolding in that moment. And I just think it just builds more for his character arc. And another thing, too, which I found I liked about it, where we're going to see, I think, the growth of him as a true Mandalorian warrior. Because um, we can just tell where, you know, he's a capable fighter. He's a bounty hunter. But in certain instances, you can just tell he's not, a, like, I guess as good as a full-fledged Mandalorian warrior would be. And we're gonna, I think we're going to see him grow into that over the course of the series or maybe just this season. And I think that'll be reflected once he gets um, more of his armor, armor forge because we know he's going to get more pieces of it because we've seen images and other shots in footage where that's not the only piece of armor that he has. He's going to get more. And I just think it's going to be kind of a great visual cue for the growth we're going to see him as a character and become the Mandalorian warrior that um, we're all expecting him to be. So I think that's just another cool aspect of it as well but that whole sequence was just you know 
it was really cool and unexpected. Like you said, seeing other Mandalorians so soon in the series. I mean, in the first episode, it was, I always expected we were going to see some more, but just right off the bat, we're seeing this clan and who knows what clans they are. If they're a clan Vizsla or clan Ren, if they're they're all maybe kind of scattered around now, because even Warner Herzog told the Mandalorian as he was leaving his office is how things are in, you know, a course of disarray now amongst the Mandalorian people. So just, you know, we're going to get, this is another cool aspect of what's to come in Star Wars. We know we're going to get more insight into Mandalore once we get the Clone Wars Season 7 and the Siege of Mandalore episodes, seeing mm-hmm. how that planet's left there and it's what happens to it during the reign of the Empire. So just so much stuff we don't know, but I think we're going to learn a lot from this series and then in those Clone Wars episodes. So just so much more cool stuff to geek out about and to speculate on with our main character and just the Mandalorian culture in general with that one scene. And you mentioned the kids. I kind of forget about that, too. But that was a little surprising, just seeing kids run around with the helmets. It almost reminded me of the Tusken Raider camps from yeah. episode two, where we see the kids kind of with those helmeted gear on, too. So just seeing the different cultures, how uh, they live and interact amongst Star Wars, and just something different for the Mandalorians, because we've seen how they lived in Clone Wars and Rebels, and just this is another side of it now. So there's a lot of stuff to speculate and just you know be fascinated by, and I loved it. I think, and again, don't forget, don't this Dave Filoni really, I think, really is such an important aspect of. Oh, without question, yeah. Well, well, in bringing in this this mythology that we thought maybe was forgotten from Legends material, and and I didn't know, I knew that Jango Fett was from Concord Dawn. I didn't realize that he was. I thought he was always Mandalorian, but I didn't know he was adopted as well, and he was adopted like how this Mandalorian is that. Or he and he basically says, and here's what I'm wondering too, guys, are they leaving the door open? And you know where I'm going with this to make to retcon that word retcon. I don't like that word. Django <laughs> and Boba Fett to be Mandalorians. I don't think so. Eh, I really don't. I mean, I think that. Look, I I've always kind of seen it that the way that Almec says it. You know, we're because that's really the only thing we have to go off of. Like, he's the one that says Jango Fett was a common bounty hunter, he wasn't a Mandalorian. You can take that as canon, or you can take that as he's, uh, you know, just denying that he's one of them. Like, he's trying to disassociate, like, oh no, we're peaceful. Like, that that guy running around with the Mandalorian armor killing people, we don't know him. Like, he's not one of us. Um, so you could take it that that's just all mixed point of view or his spin on things or you can take it as you know hard canon um but i don't know i mean honestly at this point it doesn't make a huge load of difference to me because we're probably not ever gonna see i mean you shouldn't we should never say never but it doesn't seem like we're ever gonna see any more stories where we might see boba or Django fett interacting with more mandalorians may i may i interject with that because I think you bring you bring up a great point. The reason why I bring that up at all because I think you're right for the most part. It, I don't think it really matters per se it, at this point. But what I wonder is, what if Almic says that because they reject the fact that these foundlings like the Mandalorian here and these enclave that we, we have. What if that the Mandalorians that live on the planet they reject this underground culture that lives outside and therefore when and, and when Almec says 
he's a con buddy hunter. Blah, 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 blah. It gets all mad because again, that foundling idea that you adopt the these old Mandalorian ways that, that exist outside of the pla- outside of the planet and everything, they reject that. And yeah, it's it's very possible it's a, because but, but the reason but, 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 but finish real fast. The reason why but that makes a really interesting dynamic that you can have with two sets of Mandalorians against each other in the future because you have you're not born on this planet opposed to you are adopting your ways for your own but you're not truly one of us there's a lot of story dynamics there with that that's why I think it's a possibility well I don't even see that as like two groups against one another I think they've just okay. they I think they've just ex, you know they've continuously expanded on what the culture of Mandalore and the Mandalorians is like in Clone Wars, it seemed like it was just that one planet and then the moon Concord Dawn, which was, you know, kind of separate and doing its own thing. And that's where Death Watch was starting their underground movement. Um, and everybody on Mandalore was all like white and blonde. And then you get to Rebels and find out, oh, there's Mandalorians on other planets and they've got their different outposts and stuff. And there's more clans and you've got people that look like Sabine and they're not all just like the the white blonde Mandalorians that we saw in Clone Wars. Um, and so I don't think this even necessarily has to like fit into one of those groups. Like it could be a clan that we've heard of before or they could have some direct relationship to, you know, like you said, they could be opposed to the rule on Mandalore or something, or it could just be Dave Filoni continuing to expand on the, the mythology and being like, oh yeah, well there was Mandalore, but then there's these other Mandalorians over here. And then, oh, and then there's this other group of Mandalorians over here and they're doing this thing. And that's what this guy's part of. So, um, I don't know. But like I said, I, I think this is definitely giving them a lot of material that they can expand on later in the season or even in future seasons but um just one of the things in the show that i'm really excited about and can't wait to see more of and i do hope i'm fine like honestly i'm fine if we never see our main character's face um and two episodes in honestly it's it's hard to predict like i and i don't think we'll ever get to the point of it being like kylo ren where okay season two like we're gonna find out who he is and then he's gonna have his mask off the entire time. I don't think they're going to do that, but we may see his face like once in a season finale or something like that. But I would like to find out what his name is just so we can stop referring to him as the Mandalorian. When we know there are a whole bunch of other Mandalorians in the show. Um, it's funny. I think there's an interview that uh, came out a few days yeah. after the premiere. Where oh, Pedro, actually, yeah, I did Pedro hear Pascal about that. Don't, 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 don't say, don't say his name. Don't, it's, I, I think he wasn't meant to do that. It's well, Bob. That's, yeah, Bob the Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. I want to find out in the show. So okay, but know, it is out there. It yeah. is out there. So, yeah. And regarding him taking off his helmet, how cool would this be? I know you agree with this, Paul. If they take that classic line from the Boba Fett Twin Engines of Destruction comic where someone asks us about that and he just casually uh, says, this is my face. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who don't know, there's a especially you Kyle because you don't read um so I'm, I'm just kidding I, I love giving you a hard time about that hey you know um, as long as it takes me to get through books it takes you the same amount of time to beat video games on the easiest difficulty so that that is uh, <laughs> that is you are not wrong sir um but, but anyway yeah there's a fantastic fantastic comic book uh, that came out in the mid 90s that was a part of the Star Wars Galaxy remember that magazine guys Yep, Star Wars no. That went hand in hand with Star Wars Insider for me, oh, like wait, 96 wait, wait. and 7. <laughs> Al, you don't know Star Wars Galaxy? Oh, not if it's from the mid-90s. I was 6. <laughs> Excuse. 
Um, so back in the mid nineties, there was a, there were two magazines there were Star Wars insider or Lucasfilm magazine, whatever it was at the time. I think it eventually turned into insider, I think shortly after yeah. or before galaxy, but there was a Star Wars galaxy, um, magazine that was basically, uh, done by tops. It was, uh, tops trading cards or whatever. They put out this magazine that had, all kinds of different cool. It was actually really cool. I, I have a couple still, and they're great. They're, I look through them, and they're so much fun to read now. Same here, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but that being said, uh, they had uh, they would have backup comics, um, little like five six page comic book strips, and then Dark Horse would collect them at the very end. And I remember reading the first couple, and I'm like, oh, this is so good. Basically, it's a uh, uh, Boba Fett is out there. And this guy um, is pretending to be Boba Fett in Mandalorian armor. And he's not. Jodo Cast. Jodo Cast. Mm. And so basically Boba Fett goes and beats the crap out of him. And it's it's a fantastic book. It yeah. really is. It's, it's, a, it's a one-shot issue. It's really, really fun to read. The art's solid. But there's a, there's a line that I can't – I will never, ever forget that I think that is so perfect. And – He's uh, Dengar says he makes a comment about his ugly. It was a good thing that that you have a helmet to cover up your ugly mug because he, it's his post Return of the Jedi. So he's he's all scarred up completely from the Sarlacc pit. And he's he turns around to, to Dengar with his helmet on and goes, this is my face. Oh, it's so good. And but like like you said, Tim, I how perfect would that be in, in this show? Seriously. So. Because I think that's what they're gonna say. I think I that's think, obviously what they're going for. Yeah, exactly. It's perfect. I mean, and again, I I, I think there is more. There's more. Or to this whole this whole sect of Mandalorians that's there than meets the eye, and I think there is gonna be a resentment towards these people because of that reason of taking these. Because here's a, here's the deal. Whenever you have people that are taking on these strong ideals, whether it be whatever, whatever section of, of anything you have, people are that it comes from or what the originators of it are going to say, you're, you're taking it too far. You're doing this. And there's interesting ideas behind that. that I, I think that they're going to definitely explore because again, look at rebels, the fact that they take off their helmets and they're like, yay, we're all together on this. I mean, yes, their, their armors are important to them, but they are—they actually are—they take their helmets off and and, and are normalized and, and and whatever. Whereas we see in this enclave, they don't take them off. So I think there's a there is there is something that they're gonna play on. I think maybe not this season, but maybe in the next season of having different Mandalorians kind of sections and, and saying that you guys are t- are giving us a bad name. You aren't true Mandalorians. And there is gonna be like this uh like the, the idea of. What makes you something? Is it is it the fact you're born with it, or is that you adopt it and become it? It's again, it's it. These are interesting things that people talk about today, and of, of just you know a parallel for something else. And so it's interest, interesting and fascinating to me. Um, but yeah, I, I, and again, they do a great job of explaining that in, the, in this show. I think in this in that one little scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely. Uh opens a lot of doors for potential expansion of that mythology. Um, but then, of course, you know, so he's got his new armor piece that he gets from the armor where we see the flashback and she makes the the new Beskar shoulder piece for him. 
Um, and that's another thing, too, just adding to the Mandalorian mythology, the whole thing about the Beskar armor, and it's the Mandalorian iron and stuff, and that's pretty cool. Um, but then he heads off to the planet, which I think is another desert planet that's not Tatooine, um, which at this it, it, at this point, honestly, I didn't even care. I was like, well, by now we've got Seriously. like 12 desert planets in the galaxy already, and yeah. it's just kind <laughs> of a one and done. I mean, I know he's there for two episodes, but it's like this isn't like some important planet where like something big you know in the main story is happening it's like hey it's the mandalorian just going to fetch a bounty i don't care what planet it's on um but obviously you know a desert planet it's very reminiscent of both the look of tatooine from a new hope and again just that that western motif um you know it's got that kind of feel to it of like a, a cowboy riding through the desert um but he goes there, immediately gets attacked by Blurgs, uh, and then gets saved by uh, this guy that's like a Blurg rancher, um, Kuil the Ugnaught, um, who I think is probably everybody's second favorite character after uh, the just the bundle of cuteness that he finds at the end. But um, <laughs> I, I really enjoy his character, though. I mean, as far as actual, like, character-wise... Um, and not just looking cute. I think he probably is my favorite character on the show so far. Um, and I like, you know, he takes him back to his, uh, to his ranch. And it's funny because at first when he, he takes down the blurgs and then he helps him up and, uh, he's like, oh, you're a Mandalorian. Like, I'll help you, uh, on your quest or whatever. Uh, I have spoken and I'm like, well, that's it. Like you just find some random guy and just decide you're going to help him find his bounty. Um, I was like, I, you know, I, I wanted there to be a little something more to that, but then we find out there is, and he says that, you know, I know what you're here to find and a bunch of other people have come to find it and it's brought mercenaries and bounty hunters and just co is causing all this noise and chaos. And the people that live here like me just want peace and to be left alone. And so I'm going to help you because I've never met a Mandalorian, but I've heard stories about the Mandalorians and I know you're supposed to be the best warriors in the galaxy. And so if you are everything that the stories say you are, well, I'm going to help you find what you're looking for and you're going to be able to take care of it. No problem. Uh, and then we'll have peace here. So that's kind of the trade-off. Um, and so he takes him, uh, oh, and, but first he has to learn to write a blurg. Um, and I like this scene too, again, kind of reminiscent of, and I've seen people even, um, posting like screenshots and stuff from old Western movies on Twitter and comparing like scenes in the Mandalorian that are, um, direct homages to certain old Western movies and stuff. And there was one, um, and I, I mean, I've seen a few Westerns, like when I was in film school and stuff, but there were even some that I hadn't even heard of, um, but there's, you know, one where there was like a scene of a cowboy that had to learn to ride, like tame a wild horse, um, and kept getting bucked off and stuff. And this was kind of reminiscent of that. And, uh, but just seeing him finally, you know, tame it and get on, like, it was, it was just, again, this was one of those things that I wasn't expecting from this show. Like, I thought it was going to be more kind of gritty and action oriented and, oh, this guy in the cool armor that's going to go around just bounty hunting and blasting people and stuff. And, uh, never thought that we'd have to watch a scene where, you know, he's learning to ride a creature from an Ugnaught and it's kind of played for laughs and he keeps falling off and stuff and then has a little bit of even like a, uh, I don't know if I'd call it a heartfelt moment, but, um, you know, a little bit more of like an introspective moment where, uh, Kuil kind of challenges him and he's like, Hey, you know, you're a Mandalorian, your ancestors rode the great Mythosaur, like surely you can ride this Blurg. Um, 
It's a great reference to the holiday special <laughs> with that referencing that big dinosaur he was on when he was introduced in the animated section of that. Wait, was that that wasn't a mythosaur, was it? That's what he was referring to. Yeah. Oh, see, I just thought, well, because we know that crest, like the the image that's on Boba Fett's armor, and we actually even we didn't mention that, but you see it above the Mandalorian enclave as well. That kind of skull symbol mm-hmm. that is associated with Boba Fett—that's a mythosaur skull. Um, and so I thought that was just what he's referring to. I didn't realize that the the dinosaur thing that Boba Fett's riding in the holiday special was also was also supposed to be a mythosaur. I'm pretty sure that's what it was derived from because I'm. That's <laughs> now you're making me because I know that is. You know, I'm gonna look it up real quick because I don't remember right. it looking like that with the horns and everything. While you do that, I'm gonna go ahead and chime in about one of my favorite things about Mandalorian ep- first episode, which are the Blurgs, which are obviously the creatures from the Battle for Endor oh, Ewok so films. <laughs> which I, I don't know if it was put in by Dave Filoni as a as a as a reference to the fir- again. Uh, Star Wars TV first because we we had the holiday special references from John Favreau that he loves the fact that the holiday special exists. He must be a legitimate fan of that of that show, honestly, because he keeps referencing it not as jokes, but like just like it still exists. And the fact that Dave Filoni even gives him a hard time, you gotta wonder if John maybe actually watched that while he was a kid and loved it or something. But I would like to it, think so. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, honestly, it certainly seems like that, but really fast the blurgs i I have to think the blurgs are a callback to again a a star wars tv reference of like hey you know what we're gonna honor what came before it and have the blurgs in it but obviously filoni must love blurgs they're also in the they're also on the home home world for the oh my gosh the twilight Twilight. so which again i love so the fact that the blurgs are are, are still getting loved today all these years later is a big deal because I love those things and they're great and my wife loved them too she kept calling how cute they are mm-hmm. she had no idea what she was in for later on but but yeah <laughs> blurgs blurg references always good for me yeah okay so I'm I'm looking up the mythosaur and it doesn't look like um hang on I'm looking at the picture I'm trying to find a, an image of Boba Fett from the holiday special but I looked up mythosaur Okay, yeah, yeah. The thing that he wrote on in the holiday special is definitely not a mythosaur. It doesn't have horns on its head. I know it was referred to as a mythosaur at some point. Maybe it was that's what they derived it from or something, but I know there's a connection in there somewhere. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I did find an image that's probably not canon, but it was from a Star Wars guidebook or a, a role-playing game that showed a bunch of Mandalorians fighting a mythosaur, and it was a much meaner-looking dinosaur that actually had the horns on the side of its head from that skull. Um but regardless, I just, I mean, I like that that little throwback bit of lore there that Khalil uh, throws in there, but then also the fact that he just challenges him, um, and it, he has almost like a little bit of a Jedi moment, you know, because he's, he's like aggressively trying to tame this thing and just grabbing it and jumping on it and getting thrown off, and then he has to kind of center himself, take a breath, and he even like, you know, reaches out and kind of pets it at first and, you know, is like taking a moment to... Um, you know, almost bond with this creature, and like that's how you tame it, and not just by being aggressive and and you know fighting it or just dominating it. Um, and so even though obviously he's not a Jedi and is not force sensitive or anything like that, it felt like a very Jedi esque lesson about um just sort of quieting your mind and uh 
you know, like thinking through the situation, trying to be empathetic and connect with this creature rather than just being aggressive and trying to dominate it. Um, so I thought that was really cool. Um, and a way to work in, uh, again, just kind of some of those, like I said, familiar, like Jedi-esque type of wisdom and um, just, you know, a sort of learning moment like that um, with this character that I thought was just going to be guns a-blazing all the time. So it, it was a nice little bit of character development. No, yeah, I agree. It's another one of those things that, you know, it's really selling the Mandalorian as a lead character and just seeing the growth that he's going to go through in the course of the series with the different people he's going to be interacting with and just learning from. And, you know, Kuwil is the first one that, you know, he's probably going to strike that connection with. And then, of course, he's going to meet Cara Dune later on and some other characters, I'm sure. But um, it's starting here. This was a great moment just seeing him, you know, come to terms where, you know, something he has to do to get his bounty, but also kind of learn a lesson from it as well. So, yeah, I agree. Just, you know, a great moment between those two characters that's establishing what kind of relationship they're going to have. You know, um, that the Mandalorian as a character is going to end up respecting Kilo by the time they're uh, is done with each other once he has to leave the planet. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then so he learns to ride the Blurg. They take off together. They ride across the desert and Kuil shows him uh, to where this encampment is um, or, you know, compound or whatever you want to call it. There's a bunch of mercenaries camped out in the desert. Um, and uh, so Kuil, you know, wishes him well. He He goes on his way. Um, and the Mandalorian is looking down and kind of trying to figure out what he's going to do with all these mercenaries. And in walks the IG assassin droid and just starts <laughs> shooting up the place. Um, and I got to say one thing that I really like about this, you see both IG 11 and the Mandalorian, like take blaster shots right off their torsos that like does nothing and not does nothing in the, in the sense that it, it you know, doesn't do any damage. I mean, because uh, later, like at the end of the fight, the Mandalorian says to IG-11, he's like, oh, that, you know, shot looks nasty. Um, and IG-11 says like, oh, I'll be fine or whatever. Um, and then also we see like the first time that, uh, so IG-11 is, is shooting up all the, the mercenaries. He shoots a few of them and the rest of them kind of fall back and they seal themselves up in the buildings and stuff. And then the Mandalorian approaches him. IG-11 turns and shoots him. And he takes a blaster shot right in the chest, and it, like, throws him back against a wall. But obviously, he's not dead. I mean, he's not even wounded, really. It's, like, armor that protects you from stuff. What a novel concept in Star Wars. <laughs> I know. You would think others would use that kind of armor, to, you know, in battle. Yeah, and especially because, I mean, as far as we know, like, it doesn't look like his chest plate is even made of that Beskar. So, no, um, yeah. But he's he's got himself some quality stuff. Um, but then, uh, you know, so you find out that the IG droid is there after the same bounty he is. And he's like, oh, I thought I was the only one here. Um, but they got to figure out a way to get through all these mercenaries first. And so they team up. They have a big gunfight where they're just blasting people left and right. Um, they come at him with a big cannon and they, you know, team up to take that thing out. And the Mandalorian jumps on it and just wipes out every, you know, all the rest of the guys so cool. on the big turret and, and it's just so much fun. And the whole time, uh, you know, there's this, kind of this running gag where uh, IG-11's like, oh, we're trapped. I'm going to self-destruct. And he's like, no, wait, don't do that. Let me think through it real quick. And then, you know, another problem comes up. He's like, oh, I'm going to self-destruct now. There's no way out of this. Um, and so the whole time he's like trying to 
get around the mercenaries, get in the building to get to his bounty, and stop the droid from blowing them up all at the same time. Um, and this was definitely my favorite part of the episode. Uh, one of the best blaster shootout scenes that we've ever seen in Star Wars on screen before. Um, and the, just the dynamic between those two characters, between the Mandalorian and the droid, was so much fun. Obviously voiced by Taika Waititi, who did a great job with it. Um, it was just a great sequence. Yeah, what a fantastic way to cap off the episode. I mean, was really enjoying it already, but once we got to that action sequence, there was just so much to love about it. The way it was laid out, directed, and just how the banter between the Mandalorian IG-11 was fantastic. I mean, again, just the characters he's bouncing off with in these first few episodes, it just works really well. I mean, the chemistry between these two bounty hunters was just, they played off each other. So it was just so much fun seeing them talk and kind of argue with each other as far as how to go about this battle. But then just the action with the shootout, IG-11 just going all out, turning his body every which way, blasting his enemies, the Mandalorian, shooting out locations for him to shoot. I just like that moment where he goes up top and IG-11 just shoots up. He, ends up, he walks away and you just see the body fall down. Mm, I love part. that part. <laughs> yeah. And then to see them trying to figure a way to get out of this, you know, impossible situation and then when it seems bad already, but then it gets worse when that gun turret comes and this is blasting their cover. And the way that they take out that gunner was just so cool. Seeing the Mandalorian armor do its thing with all the different, you know, weapons and gadgets it has, seeing the grapple hook just turn that turret away from the gunner, and then he just shoots them and then he jumps on it. It was just amazing. We saw that shot in the trailer where he's on there but it just played out so much cooler when you see the entire action sequence and how he gets on that turret and just mows down all those nikto mercenaries that are firing at him it was just amazing like i said action was top notch and then you just throw in the dialogue and banter that ig11 and the mandalorian have it was just a very satisfying and cool action sequence to close out the episode with so much fun I think that, again, going back to what we were talking about, how the Mandalorian basically is a, uh, a again, not only say derivative of Boba Fett, but very much is kind of like that. And IG-11 is, is, is a derivative of IG-88. And what's 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 fascinating is getting these two characters team up. And, and other people have said this. I'm not trying to act like I'm the only one. But it's crazy to see these things kind of in kind of in play, like see a Mandalorian on screen that what the Mandalorian himself is doing and also what IG 11 is doing as IG, you know, basically essentially as IG 88, we've always wondered, you know, what it would look like on screen and we got to see it right there. And it was incredible. I thought the IG 11 stuff was, was really well done and I couldn't believe how good it was. And, even seeing the little bit we saw in uh, in, in in the uh, celebration footage, because I was there, I was in that that panel. It was phenomenal, and just the little bit we saw it doesn't even measure up to what we got. I thought it was really really well done, and I love it. I love that stuff, and I can't. I, I you you gotta think that, that he's coming back or an IG droid is coming back at some point, and I kind of like that idea that a, a different IG droid could be being sent out by the same person, and maybe we can get an idea of that and how the IG droid maybe could be a different celebrity voice every time. It's just you know just an idea. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't think so. I think Taika's probably gonna come back as IG eleven. I don't think he's not going to be. I don't think he's a one and done by any means. So. 
But that being said, I love I love that and that whole sequence is phenomenal. I think it really is a great sequence. And again, I sh- I'm sure Dave Filoni didn't do that all himself. I'm sure it was some kind of other. He had a lot of help. All oh yeah, we well, got stunt coordinators and all you know a bunch of different people that help put together a fight scene like that. Yeah, but at the same time, still phenomenal, still look great, and. Yeah. yeah, and you know we've seen a lot of cool action sequences in Clone Wars too. So even though it's Dave's first time directing live action, I mean this is not the first time he's shot a scene with a Mandalorian shooting up a bunch of people. So, um, right, right. You know, I mean he he knows what he's doing when it comes to directing Star Wars, even if it's his first time doing it in live action. Um, but yeah, it was just I mean just really well done. And then I mean even to the end of that scene where they use the turret to you know, blow the hinges off the door. And then you just got that cool shot of the door falling and the Mandalorian and IG 11 walking through it. Um, and then a really cool ending. First of all, I got to say, and of course this is where, you know, baby Yoda comes in. We're going to talk about that. Um, which is not actually Yoda. Like I've seen people saying online, like people pointing out, like, can we stop calling it baby Yoda? This is after return of the Jedi. It's not Yoda. And I'm like, well, yeah, like, I assumed everybody knew that because, like, he just looks like Yoda. He's Yoda's species, but we don't know the character's name, and we don't know the name of Yoda's species, so we just call him Baby Yoda. And then I'm like, gosh, I hope there aren't people out there that are calling him Baby Yoda because they actually think it's Yoda. I wouldn't be surprised if, like, maybe somebody does think that, but just, no. Like, it's obviously when we call him Baby Yoda – assuming it's even a he like we don't know this character if it's male or female or if it's you know got a name or if the species has a name or whatever but we're just calling it baby yoda at least i am um but i think we had heard a rumor i don't know if you guys remember this but i i at least remember reading a rumor probably from making star wars or something that the plot of the mandalorian was going to revolve him going after a bounty that ended up being a child that he was then going to sort of yep. take in and protect from all these other bounty hunters and i was like eh, that seems kind of lame like i want more cool action stuff i want to see him you know taking people out i don't want to have him like dragging a baby along with him the whole time that's going to be too cutesy and whatever um, yeah i was not expecting this in the least like even having read that rumor and, you know, when he was going after the bounty and there was going to be the big reveal and we were going to find out who it was, I kind of had a feeling that it was maybe going to be a baby. But then they also said that the the target was 50 years old. So I was like, that was that kind of had my hopes up that we were made that it maybe was going to be a character that we had seen before, like maybe somebody from the Clone Wars or from the Rebellion or, you know, some I'm, I was thinking in my brain like, OK, what character? from like the prequels or from Clone Wars or something would be 50 years old now and was, you know, racking my brain for it, thinking it was going to be this big reveal. And it turns out that it is a baby, but it's a 50-year-old baby of Yoda's species that can live to be up to 900 years old. And I was like, oh, that's a good twist. I did not see that coming. Um, and obviously the the creature is just super cute. Um, but obviously this raises a lot of questions too about like, are we going to find out more about Yoda's species now? Are we actually going to find out a name for it? Um, of course we were wondering at the time, is it going to be force sensitive, which we found the answer to that question out in episode two. Um, but then also just the interaction between the Mandalorian and IG 11, where they just had this great fight scene where they were teaming up, taking out guys together. And we also found out that the Mandalorian just 
has a thing where he doesn't like droids. I mean, we saw that even in the opening scene, too, after he catches his first bounty and then um, he goes to, like, this taxi guy. It's like uh, the the snout-faced dude is, like, playing a flute and summons a speeder to come, and it's a fancy brand-new speeder with an astromech droid, and he's like, nope, no droids, give me a different one. Um, and so we know he, he doesn't like droids, so he didn't. And I like to think that's because, you know, the attack he... Witness yeah. as a young child. Yeah, yeah that's what I was thinking too. Droids that just left this like scar on him that he just hates all droids now. And I think that'd be a real like cool thing to add to, you know, his backstory and to why he hates them so much. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, he could also be like Obi-Wan where he's just grumpy and doesn't trust him. But um, <laughs> I do think having that backstory too of him growing up on a planet that was taken over by separatists would be uh, a good explanation for that. Um, but it's like, so obviously he doesn't trust IG-11, but they work together, and then they've got that nice moment at the end where he goes, you know, for a droid, you're not so bad, and IG-11 goes, I would agree. Um, <laughs> it's just great banter between the two of them, and then they walk in, and IG-11 goes, oh, well, they, they said the target had to be terminated, and he points the gun at the baby, and then it just cuts to a close-up of the Mandalorian's face, and you hear a blaster shot go off, and then you see him standing there with his gun pointed in the air, and IG-11 falls to the ground with a blaster bolt through his head. I think, I mean, I, I'm not saying that he's definitely not coming back, but the way I saw it, I was just like, oh, I I think like that they told the story that needed to be told there. Um, and it, I mean, I guess it could be cool to see him get repaired and then come after him like for vengeance. You know, he could make for a cool villain later in the story or something. Um, but I just thought this was a cool way to have him be sort of a, a one and done character in the premiere um, where, you know, he's he's got his cool action scene. He's got his his fun banter. And then you just have this twist at the end where you find out, oh, even after all that, he's still like just this bloodthirsty droid that's willing to kill a baby to get, you know, his bounty. And the Mandalorian is like, no, nah, we're not having that. Um and so immediately showing, you know, obviously his character, too, and that he, um, you know, has a heart under this rough exterior and that um, obviously when he talked to uh, his client, he said, uh, you know, bring the asset back alive. But also I realized that bounty hunting is a complicated profession. And so I'll also pay you uh, less if you bring it back dead or, you know, if you confirm that you killed it, too. Um, so, you know, dead or alive situation, but then you find out IG-11 was specifically killed just to, or specifically paid just to kill this thing, which makes you even wonder if he was hired by the same person, or if there are several shady characters out in the galaxy that are all hiring bounty hunters to go after this one child. Um, but I just thought it was a, a great twist reveal of both the child and then, uh, the Mandalorian shooting IG-11 to protect the child. Um, and, uh, yeah, just a, a great way to end it. And, again, just another way that this series turned out to not be what I expected or what I thought it was going to be going into it, but something that I just loved so much and thought was a, a really cool and interesting new direction for something in Star Wars that we haven't seen before. Yeah, this ending absolutely blew my mind. <laughs> I mean... Like I said at the beginning, I was totally not expecting this. I never would have guessed it, even if I had a thousand opportunities to try. It was just that big of a deal as far as something 
that was a total surprise and I cannot be more happier about it because having the potential to dive deeper and to learn more about Yoda species is something I've been wanting for a very, very long time. And I don't know if we're going to get all the answers in this series, but the opportunity is there now. And just the fact that we're seeing this same species as Yoda's in this early of their life. And granted, it's 50 years old, but it's still a baby. And that's one new thing we learned already. We know that, you know, how they age is a lot slower than, you know, more, most life forms that we know of probably throughout the galaxy. We just could have assumed that, yeah, Yoda grew naturally as like a, a young baby to a young child, to a teenager, to adult, like any normal, you know, maybe human would, but then the species just lives longer and they just stay old for a lot longer. But no, they're just, they just age at a very different pace than most other species that we know of in the galaxy. And just learning that little bit of info was great. And just the potential to find out more, what is their species name? We can possibly learn that now. Their home world. What if we learn what that is? Maybe the season ends with the baby going to his home world and we find out what that is. The Mandalorian has to take them there. I mean, who knows what could happen, but those opportunities to learn more about Yoda species are there now. And that just has me so excited as a lifelong Star Wars fan. He's just been wanting to know these mysteries about certain characters. And I've said it time and time and again, I'm one of those fans who loves to learn more about a particular character or in this case, species with Yodas that we haven't known before. I know some like the mysteries. I personally like to find out as much as I can about characters I love in the Star Wars universe. So the fact that we have this opportunity now with um, Yoda species, it just makes me so happy. <laughs> and it's just, they just did a great job of revealing it and just blowing me away. The way they revealed it, which is from the behind, you see the little ears peeking through, mm-hmm. but then you get a little, I just went, wow, is that, are they doing it? Yeah, as soon as as soon as I saw face? as soon as I saw the ears as they're talking about what I thought he was fifty years old and IG eleven says you know some species age differently, and then you can kind of see the ears and tell that it's a baby. Like my jaw started dropping, and then when you get that reveal of the little face, I mean I I was just floored. Yeah, it was amazing, and I just like the idea too of knowing it makes sense of how important this asset is. You know, obviously to Warner Herzog's character who hired the Mandalorian, possibly others, and just why they wanted so much. I mean, you like to, at least I think anyway, that the Yoda species is just so rare to come in contact with in the galaxy that the fact that there's a baby now of one of them, it just makes everyone want to go after it for different reasons. And apparently for uh, Warner Herzog's character, he has that um, scientist or that doctor who was with him there, and he was obviously real adamant about wanting it alive to you know to study it and there's that been that easter ray which i didn't pick up on but others have said that he has like a badge or logo on his uniform that's the same as the one on camino that they've had there so does he want to clone it there's rumors that is it a clone i mean i hope it doesn't go that way where it's just Mm -hmm. a clone of yoda or something like that to me that'd be a little disappointing because i like i'm totally in love with the idea of another one of Yoda species being out there now. So I'm hoping that's the case, but maybe um, that scientist wants to clone it because he knows how rare it is. But um, just it just makes it so believable of why everyone wants this asset now because it's such a rare you know species to find in the galaxy. And 
I'm sure there are plenty of you know those who are aware of the heroics of and the legend of Yoda throughout the Clone Wars and just being a legendary Jedi master, even though, you know, Palpatine tried to erase the Jedi from history and make those forget about him. There are those who know how important Yoda was, and I would imagine those are the ones who are after and want this little baby of his same species. Those are just so much they can do and what this little character brings to the series that I could not have possibly imagined. And it just elevated to a whole nother level it just makes it another thing that i can't wait to see every new episode now that we have this new character introduced where we can learn more about you know these mysteries of yoda's species and his homeworld all that stuff that i've always wanted to know and now we're possibly might get it even if we don't i just think it's a cool addition knowing that there is another character out there that is the same species as yoda we got three now yoda you can't forget yaddle <laughs> and now baby yoda mm-hmm. so there's just Man, I was just so, so happy when this episode ended. I would have been happy anyway, just with, you know, that great action sequence it ended on and finding out what, uh, you know, the bounty they were after. But again, this just took it to a whole nother level for me and my enjoyment of it. And you could say the Mandalorian met expectations for a lot of people. But for me, once we got this moment right here, it surpassed expectations I because I was not expecting it. But yet it was something that, you know, was done so well and it was so good and just something that just uh, makes you excited as a Star Wars fan to knowing that this element has been thrown into the mix of this series now that you're already excited for it. So there's just so many things to love about this reveal. I mean, I was, my mind was blown when I saw it and I just could not stop thinking about it that night, the next day, just immediately wanted to watch it again after work the next day. Just, you know, there was just a buzz, um, you know, on, on Twitter, among Star Wars fandom about it, but just me and my own personal <laughs> day-to-day routine, just thinking about it nonstop. And it was just amazing. So yeah, I just love that reveal. I could not have been happier with it. I was, I stayed away from social media uh, for a couple of days for a number of reasons, but one of them was to avoid anything Mandalorian. I wanted to experience the Mandalorian completely spoiler-free without anyone's expectations who were going to watch it earlier than I was. Cause here's the deal. I see so many people who, as soon as it, it drops, they'll stay up late or get up early, Kyle and watch it. <laughs> and, and, and that's fine. Again, kind of like the video game thing. There's no wrong, right or wrong way to do it. No, but for look, me, I do, I just got to say, I got up the morning that it, that it came out. Because it launched it with like three in the morning or something like that. Like I wasn't going to stay up that late and watch it. Um, but my wife gets up earlier than I do to go to work in the morning. And so I was already up at, you know, like seven or whatever. And I don't have to go to work for a while. So I was like, let me just load up this Disney Plus and check it out and see what's on there. And I was going to wait till that night to watch The Mandalorian. And I was like, eh, let me like just watch the first few minutes of it. Or I was already seeing on Twitter that people were having outages and like, you know, it was having all those technical problems and stuff. So I was like, let me see if I can even get it to play. And then I did. And then I was like, yeah okay i watched the first couple minutes and then i just didn't stop (laughs) yeah and so i i totally get it for me i want to sit down with my friends or with my wife and watch the main and really soak it in and be alert and and all that stuff and just for me and, and eat snacks and all that jazz so anyway i 
I stayed away from spoilers completely. I did hear about, you know, last year that there was a, a, perhaps about a baby involved or somewhere, which again is kind of a, a tropish thing, if you will. There's the whole lone wolf and cub idea, me on the professional and some, you know, something like that. Like there were the, the hardened assassin, you know, criminal or, you know, total ex- warrior, etc. Is going to take on a, a child protected or whatever. It's a pretty classic idea. What I, what I love is, is that John Favreau takes that, those expectations and totally puts them on their head with using the species of Yoda. And that is a game changer because of the mystery, the mysteries that are, that revolve around uh, the Yoda and, and everything and not knowing what's going on. And I think that was a masterful stroke by him. And you have to wonder with the, cause everyone's kind of saying, what does this mean for Yoda species? And, 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 and to be honest, in my opinion, I think we're going to get not maybe every answer, but I think we're going to get a lot of answers. And I think it's because of the, of the two people that are working on the show, John Favreau and Dave Filoni. Yeah. And we all know that George Lucas showed up on set. And I, I swear there's, does he even have a writing credit? I know it says created by star by George Lucas, but yeah, I don't think he has I a writing wanna, credit, but, but either way, like the, he showed up and he, you, everyone knows how incredible, clo- how incredibly close he is. To Dave Filoni. And in a, in a, he respects and is a big fan of John Favreau. Um, I, I just you got to think that maybe they sat down and asked permission and and with Dave again with Dave Filoni, kind of and maybe this has been revealed already, but I, I feel like with Yoda and his species, that's a very special thing that that is not is was was not necessarily just oh yeah do whatever you want John. It was like I don't know, and I wonder if they had to talk to George himself and say George give us everything you you know we need on this character or this you know what was your. What was your thinking? And I, you gotta wonder if George wasn't gonna explain his that species already, because if you go back to the Art of the Force Awakens book, some of the early concept art. Now we all know George was still involved with Episode Seven up until the moment that JJ kind of got on, and once he got on, you know, Bob Iger's book, he pretty much bailed, and and the rest is history. But if you look at some of that artwork. Um, and I want to say, look at the years that it was made, that it was created, that George was still a part of it. Yoda's species were in some of the concept art. Hmm. And you got to wonder, what did did George, was George going to introduce the idea of Yoda's species in this book, or excuse me, this book, in, this, in, the, in The Force Awakens? And when it didn't, you got to wonder that maybe Dave Filoni knew that or something like that. And they talked about it and he's, and maybe Dave said, make, make baby Yoda, make it Yoda species. And we can, we can do what, what, what George wanted to do in this, his, his sequel trilogy and explore that, that planet. I think that's what might've happened. I think that there's potential. Cause I know it's in there. If you, if I want to say the years match up too. If you look that early concept art, there's a, there's a, not, not just one picture. There's a couple different pictures of Yoda species in there. I think that there that he was going to explore the species, and when they ichnade his ideas, shame on you, Disney. Um, that maybe they're going to explore those very things that George wanted to, as far as with, with Yoda species, 
in the Mandalorian. And they're going to use those, those ideas are going to be used in that, in the series. So that's where I'm, I'm a betting man. I'm going with it. And I think that's, what's going to happen. I think we're going to get this home world. I think we're going to get the species or something like that. And at least one or the other. I think we're. Yeah, I don't. I don't think we're going to go so far as to see a home world. And I think they probably do want to keep some mystery around it. Like the, it's not going to. I think it would be weird to see a whole planet of Yodas running around all over the place. But I would not to I think, to I get think some more backstory on this character. Plus, if there's a whole planet of them, then why is everybody going after this one specifically? Because they don't know where it is. It's like the first Jedi Temple, right? Could be. So and that, and that's what I'm saying. I think there's, I think that they're, they're kind of like in an unknown recluse planet, reclusive planet, and that the when one gets out, it's almost like they choose they've chosen certain ones to go out of the planet to to get out there, and but we don't know. And that's the beauty of it. We just we just don't. Maybe it's a rare species, and that's the other thing. Maybe that's why this child is so important. That Yoda's species that was dying out, and him and Yaddle were the last of their kind. And what it this was it this is one of their last uh, uh, things that they, maybe it is their child or something like that. Well, if like Yoda that. and Yaddle were the last two, then yeah, that would mean that they were doing something against the Jedi but code. You get what I'm saying, though. And if it was <laughs> and if it was 50 years old, it would make sense that they would want to keep it secret and not have it be uh, a revealed like oh, it's the last of our kind kind of a thing. I think there's going to be something like that. If we don't get a planet of Yodas or, or it's not even a planet of Yodas. I think they're, they're, they are a rare species. Maybe that's not totally extinct, but is rare. And that's why it is a big deal because they are all force sensitive. Like this child has shown. Mm-hmm. And I, I think, and I think we're going to get, I think we're going to get that re- those reveals of something like that in the season. And we're definitely going to get the name. Cause I feel that, you don't show the the uh, an infant or a, or a child of the, of the species of Yoda without answering some questions, if not, I think most of them. So yeah, that's where I'm going with it. And again, I don't know I, about most of them, but I think we will get some. And you know, because Tim, like you were saying, you like to you want to know as much as possible and like getting all these answers revealed. For me, I'm kind of in the middle. Like especially with Yoda specifically, like I don't want a young Yoda movie. Like Yoda's just always he's the quintessential like <laughs> old mentor character. Like I don't need to know what teenage Yoda was like. Although now we know like teenage Yoda, you know, in actual teenage years would have been barely an infant. Um but so, you know, I, I think leave the character of Yoda as he is, but then to see a baby of this species, because, you know, we've seen Yaddle too, and of course we've seen Yoda in his old age, but to see another member of the species as a baby, which we've never seen before, um, was just, you know, a, a huge surprise. It's a really fun twist, and I think is going to open up a lot of possibilities to um, find, you know, maybe get the the lid pulled back a little bit and find out a little bit more information on that species um like where, like the up. name or where they come from or are they all force sensitive or something like that mm-hmm. i'm glad you brought up the lucas angle of it paul because that was another aspect of this reveal that i loved because i don't think they would have done it if they didn't get lucas involved with it because like you said we know he's been on set we know how close he's worked with dave filoni and Heck, even in that um, in the premiere panel they had, Bryce Dallas, Bryce Dallas Howard even said that Lucas told him that he regards Dave as as a son almost, mm-hmm. and 
just how much, you know, the fact that they're so close and how much Dave gets Star Wars. You just know that this is coming from Lucas. I think there's no doubt in my mind where, you know, it was probably it could have been originated from John Favreau. But like you said, Paul, they probably had to sit down with George, went over what, you know, the ideas he had for Yoda species, what he wanted to do with it. And then I think they're going to go with that. So whatever reveals we get, I think is coming from Lucas. I mean, they may never say it. It might not get revealed, but I'm always going to believe it until it's said otherwise. I just think no matter what is done with this new character as, you know, the baby of Yoda species, it's going to stem from what Lucas intended because of the creative team that's involved with it, namely Dave Filoni. And we, I just can't have a hard time believing that they would just do this on their own and not get Lucas's blessing or not even just his blessing, but just talking about it with him and getting his ideas and thoughts on it. But I think it goes further than that. I think this stuff is coming from George and it could have been something where maybe he, you know, told them maybe this is what they should do. And, you know, just say, you know, what would be cool guys. I've always had this idea of Yoda species as a baby. And then it just went hand in hand with the story they wanted to tell of the Mandalorian taking in, a young child and traveling with it. Maybe that wasn't their plan all along. It was just going to be a humanoid baby or another alien. But then Lucas came in and said, you know, this would go perfect for an idea I had and has to deal with Yoda species. So regardless of how it happened, I just think Lucas is heavily involved with whatever stories come out of with this, uh, with this child that's the same as Yoda species. And I think that's awesome because for some as important as learning more about Yoda species, I think it should come from George. Yeah, but at the same time, I also like the idea of him sort of passing the chore, passing the torch, because um, I I could see him showing up on set and Dave and George or Dave and, and John asking him for his input and going, hey, you know, can we get your blessing on this or get your input or you know what would you do with this? But I also like the idea of George showing up on set and watching Dave do his thing, and I'm sure maybe he gave him some pointers or something. Um, but going, Hey, you know what? I've, I'm retired. This isn't my franchise anymore. This isn't my story anymore. Like this will always be the story that I started, but this story that they're telling right here, I just want to watch and see, you know, this next generation of storytellers that I've passed the torch on to let them do their thing with it. Um, and I like that idea just as much. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, even whether, um, you know, I like this certainly seems like the sort of thing that uh, maybe Dave got the idea of from George. But even like if Dave came up with this idea on his own, it also seems like the type of thing that George probably would have been OK with. Um, and this is it's one of those things that really just brought that that sort of just heart and charm of Star Wars. Um, mm, yeah, that, so that I wasn't expecting like like. Because Star Wars is, it's so many things, and people love so many different things about it, but, um, you know, especially if you go back to the original trilogy, there's always been just sort of a, a heart and a charm and a magic to it all, even when there's, you know, lightsaber fights or blasters flying or, you know, delving into mythology or in the middle of a big war or whatever. Um, there's always been, you know, light hearted moments and heartfelt moments and and moments that just make you feel something special um and this was that moment for me and then of course it continues in episode two um even more so yeah <laughs> yeah yeah definitely but it's it that was that that's that star wars magic and it's 
almost that thing like this is kind of the piece that clicked for me at the end of the episode and i wouldn't say that it's like oh this is what was missing this whole time but it's almost like it it just elevated it to the next level and like i said it just it became so classically star wars in a way that i wasn't expecting because you can have something that looks like star wars and is set in the star wars time you know in the star wars universe and it's just bounty hunters and scoundrels and people shooting each other and it can be cool and dark and gritty and it may not feel like the Star Wars movies, but it's like, that's fine. You have, you know, you can tell different types of stories. That's why you've got Disney Plus, and that's why they started doing uh, the the spinoff films and stuff like that. Like, you can tell totally different types of stories, and this was just, you know, that's this is not something that I was expecting in what I thought this type of story was going to be. But then once we found out about it and once I realized, you know, sort of what this was going to be, that's why, like I was saying earlier, this just turned out to be a lot different than I expected. But I love it so much more than I probably would have otherwise. Um, it's like this is not what I thought I wanted out of this show. But now that we have it, I'm I'm just glad that this is what it is. Yeah, it's almost like you can't imagine it any other way now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, but then you still have, have so many more elements. Like, we can't wait to see him yeah. get back and, you know, learn more about the Bounty Hunters Guild and the, the Imperial Remnants and the Mandalorians. And there is so much more to this than just him and the baby Yoda. But for the first two episodes, it's so just Star Wars magic. Mm-hmm. Now, I had a theory. I don't think this is going to play out, but I was... Watching it, I was thinking, you know, what made him just so, you know, caring for the baby right away? I mean, he doesn't want to kill it. Of course, he was told to bring it alive, but you could just tell he was, you know, he knew it was wrong just to shoot it, obviously, by Uh taking out IG-11. Like, what was making him feel that way? Was it just, you know, the goodness of his heart that, you know, showing that he is a really good character underneath all that armor? But one thing I couldn't help but think about, but what if he recognized that species and we were talking about the flashback mm. of him during the clone wars he's being attacked by super battle droids it looks like he's being kept into hiding what if he was rescued by yoda during the clone wars that would be amazing <laughs> like he doesn't even have to interact with yoda he just sees him from a distance or that one blows my mind see him take <laughs> out the battle droids it just leaves an impression and then when he sees the baby it's just like Oh wow! Like this is, you know, the same species that saved my life, and that's why he's just so taken with it and wants to protect it. And part of me thinks that would be awesome, but there's there's a line said in the second episode that made me, you know, go back on that theory a little bit, because once we see that, you know, the baby Yoda is force sensitive and he displays his force abilities, that kind of took the Mandalorian by surprise and not knowing what to make of it, because he even when him and uh, Q Will were talking about what happened. He even says, like, I don't even know what happened. Is that because he's not familiar with the force at all? Or just be the fact that a, such a young t- baby and an infant is able to do that? That's not how he knows it happened. So I kind of took it that he's not familiar with the force. And if that's the mm. case, then maybe it throws my Clone Wars theory out the window of seeing Yoda as a Jedi in action. But, but we I still can still. I, I think we could still see because uh, this is maybe just my own fanboy wishing, but I really do hope that if we do see more of that flashback scene and we see him getting attacked by the battle droids as a kid, I would love to see a Jedi step in, especially one that we've seen before. It could be, you know, Anakin, Obi-Wan, Ahsoka, Yoda, 
Mace Windu, even some background Jedi, like, um, it would just be really cool to see. Um, but they could just run in and be, you know, deflecting blaster bolts and cutting down battle droids with their lightsaber and just dash off real quick. It could be something that he sees, you know, 20 seconds of as a kid and doesn't understand, but it leaves an impression on him. Um, That's true. But, you know, even if it is like even if he met Yoda face to face, he may not see him use the force. And especially as a child, like, you know, maybe he's never heard of the Jedi before. Maybe he's heard legends about them or something. But still, you know, even if you see them fighting in a war, just cutting down battle droids with their lightsabers, seeing that as a kid and then as an adult years and years later, seeing a baby lift up a freaking woolly mammoth rhinoceros thing with its mind like it's two completely different things if you've never actually seen the force be used on that scale before so let's move that so let's keep the conversation going and go into episode two and talk about him lifting up the baby yoda for the lack of a better term at this point lifting up the woolly mammoth rhino thing that the mandalorian takes on uh this episode episode two i thought was such a it was such a different feel and now granted part of that was a little as much shorter than the uh the previous episode which when you're talking 30 minutes to 37 minutes doesn't seem like a lot but those seven minutes are quite a bit and it's a it's it's a dramatic pace change but in a good way and for me you i love the focus of of him the child basically bonding together yes. and being together mm. together the whole time and now, now i told i told you guys both that it's not an action-packed episode i still stand by that i totally disagree when you but, said that uh, text, well, well like, you said you that said i had already i had already packed. seen it at, when you said that but i was i thought it was plenty action-packed same here I, yeah. I don't what i mean by that is it's not it wasn't like the first episode where they're just mowing things down. Yeah, there weren't a whole I, lot of shootouts per se. I, I, right, that's action. Now, adventure is a different story. And I felt that it was more of an adventure story than it was action-packed. And that's, my friends, where you weren't paying attention. Well, but, I would argue that it was an action-packed adventure story. Well, you'd be wrong. But anyway, <laughs> uh, but, but either way... It's a different, but it, you have to admit it's a different pacing, and because it's seven minutes shorter, it is a more con- really compact story. And what and what it does is that story is basically giving the almost extending the bond between this baby Yoda character and the Mandalorian. And what I love about it, and I'm curious because again, you get the idea that it helps defend him while he's trying to get his ship back together from killing this woolly mammoth from the Jawas, uh, or, you know what I'm trying to say. And I'm wondering, does this child stay with him after season one? Let's assume this overarching story goes the whole season. Does baby Yoda stay with him the whole time? I don't think so. I think it's going to be like almost a tearful goodbye. (laughs) He knows he's going to have to give him up. But yet he knows he's safe and he'll be protected, whatever, if that's his home world or somewhere else. But I think he's going to let him go. But oh, yeah. Oh, hold on. He takes him to his home world. Oh, I'd love Whoa. to see that. I mean, is that like the final shot oh. of the season finale? Dude. <laughs> yeah, is is this a bunch of Yodas? This all in Yaddles is all hanging or, out. Or 
Wait, 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 wait. I'm like, well, depending on, or what if he leaves him with Luke? See, I thought that too, but what, Mm. but the problem is, because I thought the same thing. You, he has, I was thinking that this, I wonder if they're going to use this character in the future, like in future episodes or episodes in future movies for after the last or last uh, sequel trilogy. And if you want to try a different storyline and, and you further the Jedi after the sequel trilogy, this would be an obvious character that he use as a younger character and as a main character. And I thought about would Luke train this, train this person. I don't know. And it's only 30 years later. He might not be old enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We don't, we don't, we don't know the age. No. Though. And, and I'm not even, I'm not even thinking about like, you know, you could deal with that story later when you get to it. Like, as far as would Luke train him as a Jedi or, you know, would Luke take him somewhere else for safekeeping? I'm just thinking, like, because you said you could take him back to his home world. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then I was like, well, if they don't do that, like, what other options are there? It's not like there's other Jedi that you can just drop him off with. And then I'm thinking, like, oh, wait, has Luke started his Jedi temple yet at this point? Like, do we know where that timeline is? So, I, I don't know. Another option. I mean, mm. she's not, you know, with the Jedi yet, but, you know, she oh, dude, would protect Ahsoka. that. Yeah. Protect oh, that you know baby what? at all costs. Man. You know what? That would, guys, I, ooh. Oh. You, it's you know Dave, that, it's that's, Dave Filoni. That's it. It's Dave yep, Filoni. That's it. That's it. Oh. That's, that's, that's the sauce. Oh. That's it. That's the sauce. That's I that I match my money honestly. That's where I'm going. With. And so it, not, it's well, we still got to figure out what happened with Ahsoka and Ezra and you know go with Sabine matter. and going off to find Thrawn. I mean, we would assume it could only two up. years. So. Yeah, 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 exactly. You would assume that they're back I from that by Ezra. now. But kissy, kissy, kiss, go off and have a bunch of babies, and then and then, and then yeah, <laughs> we don't care about that. I mean, I like I like Ezra, I like Sabine, I get it. Okay, cool. Well, no, no, I'm just <laughs> saying we would have to know like where there's a whole journey that Ahsoka would be on between Return of the Jedi and this point. Um, yeah, but, but but it's five years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I'm not saying, I'm not saying it after. can't happen. I'm just saying that I would I still want to get that story too at some point. But to have her, you know, off in some – to know that like during The Rise of Skywalker, she's off in some secluded spot, you know, babysitting the next Yoda – well, she's not babysitting. I think I wonder because again, what does IG Eleven say? He says not everyone ages the same. Now we we know this baby's 50, 50 years old, but we don't know his species. Is it gonna? Is it? We don't know if it has a growth spurt, like where all of a sudden hmm. it becomes more cognitive, and after let's say twenty years, where it gets almost to like Yoda size at that point, we don't know. And that's the thing with I. We they can do whatever they want with this character as far as as aging him at any time. Literally, there you could literally do that at any time because you don't. You, there's no rules for his species as as far as we know. Uh, George is, is going to wish. So the way I see it is is that there's there. I don't think he's Luke's. I don't think Luke trains him, but because of Dave Filoni's connection with Sabine or excuse me, Sabine with Ahsoka. And the fact that she is now Ahsoka the Grey, and she's <laughs> not a Jedi. Um, Ahsoka the White. Or whatever the heck she is. 
the the way they're they've kind of set it up in Rebels and the way Dave has set it up with this character and not being a part of as we as we know as of right now Tim and Kyle that he's not a part of Luke's care or he or she should say is not a part of Luke's Jedi training it would make sense and line up and I think that again furthering a character in in, in building and doing something different with a character like this and building them as over the years to a point where they can carry its own story or narrative, if you, if you will, like, like maybe Ahsoka has in, in, in the past where she was, you know, given to different characters like Anakin and Obi-Wan and, and built up and now loved and now cherished. And people are, are, you know, pounding the table for her own series I think that there's very there, this could be very them very well developing a brand new character in Star Wars that will become a more prominent character later on. We don't know how prominent, but I think it's very possible. And I think training with Ahsoka because you need it because if is this if it's this force sensitive, they're telling us it's a powerful character and it needs to be harnessed and it should be trained. Who's going to train it at this point? There's there's very limited suitors and Luke's one of them. So and plus, if it's, if it's Luke, with Luke, you know it's going to have a bad ending to it. As exactly. Well, well yeah. So, but again, that's why I'm saying, crazy. like, we maybe Luke hasn't started his temple yet at some point. Maybe Luke goes and takes him to somebody else. Maybe Luke's the one that takes him to Ahsoka. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I don't know. But. Um, yeah, like you said, I I don't think he's gonna become just like the Mandalorian's sidekick and stick with him for the entire series. I wouldn't series. be opposed to that. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to that. But I mean, after episode two, I wouldn't either. But I don't see it happening. Yeah. I think he's gonna go away for a little bit, and then like by the last two or three episodes of the season, like he'll become the main focus again of you know the season story arc. Yeah, that's what I think too. I think he might. Well, I don't know. Like he might go and just turn him in for the bounty. And then maybe find out later that the the guys he gave him to were doing something to him, and you know, go back yeah, and yeah. try to rescue him or something like that. That's what um, I think because he has to get his payment of more best car like material to forge his armor because we know he gets more of it. Yeah. So I think he has to cash in on the bounty, and then he finds out you know what they're actually going to do with it, and then probably him and Cara Dune have to go rescue him. And we've seen you know him shoot out a bunch of stormtroopers, and maybe that's him trying to get to baby Yoda again. So yeah, that's maybe. how I see it playing out for right now. Um, man, but episode two in general, um, now that we're on to that one, I, so episode one, like I said, I liked it a lot overall. Uh, wasn't crazy about the beginning. I mean, aside from the fish guy, like I, you know, I like the scene where he goes in and has the bar fight and all that stuff. Like just overall, I liked it. The beginning a little bit less. So the end, definitely a lot more. So, um, but episode two, I was like, okay, already they have found their groove. Like this episode mm-hmm. was so good. Um, just the action scenes, the adventure scenes, the heartfelt, you know, just the, the adorable baby Yoda moments where, you know, he's like swallowing the frog and you know, the Mandalorian's <laughs> like, Hey, spit that thing out. Um, it was just, just, uh, had so many good elements, um, and like I said, it, like it already felt like it was just trimming the fat from the first episode. And the first episode obviously had a lot of stuff to establish right off the bat. Um, the second episode was kind of picking up from, you know, took where he was at the end of the first episode and was able to just continue the story of him on that journey. So it didn't have to, like, establish a new story or new characters. Um, 
And it was really, it was just the Mandalorian, the baby Yoda, Kuwil again, which I, I thought we were only going to see him in the first episode. So I was really glad that we got to see him in another one because um, I love that character. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just a couple Trandoshans and a bunch of Jawas, which made for a really fun Indiana Jones type sequence where he's crawling up <laughs> the sand crawler and tossing Jawas out the incredible. windows. And I love, I just, you know, again, like it seems kind of, it, it was kind of pointless, but was just so much fun to watch. The fact that he spent all that time crawling up the sand crawler, fighting all the Jawas, and he gets to the top of it, pulls his gun out, and there's 10 Jawas waiting for him, and they've all got their guns out, and they stun him, and he just falls <laughs> off the sand crawler. And it was like, that was all for nothing, but it was so much fun. That was that was probably the most ridiculous thing I never thought I'd ever see was basically Boba Fett crawl up a sand crawler of Jawas, like like from like look we I guess there was something like that in the Jawas of Doom and uh, Star Wars Marvel Comics eighty two the original Marvel Comics but he he didn't he was inside the uh, sand crawler and come out of it but either way it was such a surreal thing but it was so like you guys said so much fun and that to me was what has been missing i think in a lot of star wars in the disney era is this something that's very familiar that we haven't really seen that we're seeing and maybe i never thought about a mandalorian crawling up a sand crawler as something i want i needed to see but i did <laughs> yeah i don't and think I any of us thought of that yeah and, and and also seeing disintegrations for the first time i and loved that especially as that a fan of great. like the old jedi knight games i remember in uh in jedi academy there was a disruptor rifle and I used to play the multiplayer with my sister and I would like always hide out on the map and use that disruptor rifle that could, you know, once you charged it up fully, if you hit somebody with it, it would disintegrate them. Um, so that's something we've seen in Star Wars video games before, but never seen it on screen. So I loved getting to see that. Yeah. And so I, I think that this episode, granted, I know everyone's complaining or even backhanded complaints of it's too short. And I, I totally get it. I, I wish they'd be a little bit longer. But one of the things that I think is really fascinating is that the Mandalorian is kind of setting up its own, its own rules. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, I think that's what's really important in this new era of streaming is that it doesn't, it's not beholden to this idea of traditional storytelling of we have to have an hour. We have to have an hour. No, 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 no. It's whatever the story needs. Yep. And I think that's a really important thing to be honest. And I think that, that's honestly in this era of streaming, you're going to need to be able to say, you know what? We don't need to have, we don't have to have an hour. We'll, we'll, we'll do an hour if we need it, but we don't have to. And I think it's saving money and it's being efficient with what they have. And it's, it's all killer, no filler. And I think that's what's so important with something like this with star Wars, because you don't want to overstay your welcome. Yes. You want people wanting more. And that's what Favreau and Filoni are doing. They've made these very, very concise stories and have done a great job of giving us these fun things to watch. And we want more. And, and the directors and are, are nailing their, are having their own visions. I mean, I, I liked, I love Dave Filoni and I liked what he did in episode one. And I think he's only going to get better. And I think Filoni is going to end up being a solid star, a great Star Wars director. But Rick Fumiyama, uh, in the second episode, you could tell he's a little more experienced. Mm -hmm. Some of the shots, and I'm curious, you're you're a, a video person, uh, for you know, you're a director yourself here, Kyle, and, and done filming and things like that. 
I just love some of the shots that he came up with. Like some of like, like some of the shots where after the mud uh, fight, basically with the with the creature, there are some great shots of the of the sun reflecting through the helmet visor where it's coming yeah. through the tee. But it's just beautiful. I'm like, man, like that's a great shot. And it, it, it it's conveying emotion. We talk about the emotion on on the Mandalorian himself. You're using the shots and the actor together again you're using the the methods of the uh of the medium to its full advantage and i thought that rick fumiyama did a great job of of setting up great great iconic shots multiple shots and again that, that i think that he came up with that i thought was really impressive and i really i want him to come back because i think for a very again a not action-packed episode i will stand by that that claim <laughs> But having a, a little more of a quieter episode at moments of really conveying emotion, I thought he did a phenomenal job. And I want to see him come back to more episodes of Star Wars, whether it be Mandalorian or Cassian or whatever. So, well, he is doing another episode this season. Fantastic. I, I, I wonder, I'm curious if it's a little bit more quieter like that episode. This episode that Dave Filoni did um, – episode one it's a little more action-packed i felt that this one was a little more I completely disagree this episode yeah, one just... episode one has that one i mean it has the brief action scene in the bar at the beginning and then it has the it's big and then longer. it has the bat the big blaster shootout at the end and that's it yeah it's 10 minutes longer and only has two action yeah. scenes but yeah because it's almost like twice as long it's with 10 minutes man well, yeah, okay, so you're saying that the longer episode that only has two action scenes was more action-packed than the shorter episode that had three action Th scenes. Three of them, yeah. Well, I The mean, math doesn't they're, add they're, up. They're way short. They're way... Yeah, it does, no, episode two shorter. was more action-packed. Yes, I have spoken. No, 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 yeah, whatever, dude, whatever. So I'll, 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 just say, I'll let me say this. The reason why I say that is because... All three of those action scenes, if you even want to call the... And I, I do. I guess you could call the... the that was the, I, I, I don't know. I, I call that more of a chase scene than anything. I don't know if I call it an action scene. But regardless, I don't... <laughs> Jawas are getting scene. disintegrated. Yeah, all right, all right. I concede. <laughs> I'll concede that it's an action scene. I just feel it's not... It's it feels more. It's uh, it, this is my problem. I feel like maybe it's more condensed, and that's why it feels like a smaller episode because it is condensed into a lot tighter frame than what Filoni had, and because of that, I feel that the moments that are quieter they stick out more, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was a good balance of both. Like it was, it felt more action packed than the first episode, but also had some great quieter moments. Um, yeah. Heck, I love the scene of him and Kuwil rebuilding the ship together. Um, oh. At the again, Kuwil, you know, this talking Ugnaught playing the closest thing this show is probably ever going to have to a Jedi Master. Uh, you know, where I love like they finally get the parts and bring them back, and the Mandalorians like, man, we're going to need a whole. You know, we need a whole mechanic crew to fix this. This is going to take days. And Khalil's like, well, it would take quicker if you picked up a wrench and helped me. Like, he's the one that's willing to just dig in and do it and, you know, has this quippy wisdom ready for him when the Mandalorian is like, you know, again, you think he's like the tough, capable character. But I like seeing that he still has so much learning and growing to do. 
And you see the yeah. same you see the same thing from the way he gets roughed up in some of these action scenes too. I mean, this is kind of the second episode in a row where we've seen him get his butt kicked. Um, mm-hmm. I guess in episode one he did pretty well for himself, but we saw him get shot a couple times. So just proving, he had a hard time with the blurg. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. Like he, he had to to learn to ride the blurg, and then in this episode, I mean, he gets thrown off the sand crawler. The Jawas steal his ship and dismantle it. He fights the big creature thing and just gets muddied and banged up. I mean, his chest protector is bent all out of shape, hanging off his chest like a freaking trap door. Um, and the only like the thing's gonna run him over and kill him, and it's the baby Yoda using the force and lifting it up that saves his life. I mean, he, he kneels down, gets his dagger out and he's ready to, to die on his sword. He's like, this thing's going to kill me. And I just hope I can take it out with me as it's, you know, charging at me. He's, he's gonna, you know, hope that the force of the creature running him over just plunges the dagger into it. But he's like, you can tell in that scene, he's ready to die. Um, and, and, baby Yoda saves him um so he's he's gotten roughed up and you see that he definitely I mean they they talk about the Mandalorian armor and the Beskar and how tough it is and everything like he needs that um and I don't know if we're gonna find out that this is like a younger guy um who's maybe kind of inexperienced but I think we're also just seeing that like he's not a Jedi he doesn't have superpowers like he has fighting skills and he has tough armor but he's also fighting tough opponents um even at the beginning, he takes out all those Trandoshans, but, you know, then we see he gets a little nicked up and he's, uh, you know, got that cut on his arm. Um, that then, you know, the baby Yoda keeps climbing out of his little crib thing and trying to come over and touch it. And I think that was kind of our first indication that maybe he was trying to use the force to heal him or something. But obviously he didn't know that. So he keeps just picking him up and putting him back. Um at least that's that was how I interpreted that because I saw that as a little foreshadowing mm-hmm. for later on. Like it looks like he's maybe trying to use the force, but we can't really tell. But I think it's just kind of planting that seed to make you think about it, so that it makes sense later when we do see him use the force. Although I wasn't expecting to see him use it in such a big way so soon. Um, Same here. And the fact that we see he's so strong in the force that I mean that creature is massive, and you know this is like a equivalent of like a. a one and a half year old maybe i don't know like when we first saw it in the first episode i thought it was an infant but at least you know then in this episode you can see that it can walk and stuff so i don't know it's a little toddler yoda um and it can already you know lift this thing up using the force and so um and at that moment i immediately was like oh now we know why everybody's after this thing um, and it's not just because it's the same species as Yoda and, you know, they want it in case it turns out to be like Yoda or because it's the last of the species or something. It's like somehow somebody already knew that this thing was really strong with the force, or at least maybe they thought it had that potential and they were right. So, um, but yeah, that was a really cool reveal. Um, and like I said, that, that was kind of one of the things that we were wondering at the end of the first episode, like, oh, it's a Yoda baby. Like, is it going to turn out to be force sensitive? And already in episode two, they were like, yep, yep. There's your answer. Mm -hmm. And dare I say, this is a perfect half hour of Star Wars television. (laughs) I mean, we've had some amazing, great Clone Wars episodes, I think could fit that description. But as far as live action goes, I think. We already have one <laughs> so early on in the series. I just absolutely loved everything about this episode. 
the action or adventure, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> it was all fantastic. It starts off with the bang with a really cool short skirmish with the Mandalorian against the Trandoshans, the sand crawler battle or <laughs> chase. Like I echo everything you guys said. It was amazing. Was not expecting it, but man, I'm glad we got it. It kind of also reminded me of the sand crawler level in the super star Wars video game for the super Nintendo where you're playing as Luke and you're trying to make your way up the sand crawler to get on top of it and make your way inside. It reminded me a little bit of that, but man, just seeing that all play out live action was just a sight to behold. And then you have the fight with the mud creature, which we saw in the trailers as well. And I was excited about it because I love the design of that creature. And that battle did not disappoint. I mean, you just knew the Mandalorian was up against it with this creature. He tried all, a lot of his tricks, the grapple hook, the flamethrower, and none of it was working. <laughs> so he just, you know, it was a tough fight for him. And like you said, the way it ended with the reveal of Yoda, or <laughs> calling him Yoda already, with baby Yoda. Yoda or, Jr. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's not a baby Yoda. Let's call him Yoda Jr. But that's an amazing reveal of him using the force to lift it up. I even thought he was going to go further and just push it like all the way across the mountaintops or something just <laughs> move it out of the way but the way it happened was just even better how he was helping him out and again establishing that bond that they're already forming between the mandalorian and this baby and with all this amazing stuff we got in this episode my favorite moment of the series so far of this episode and of the first one is just that quiet moment where the mandalorian is repairing his wound on his arm it's nighttime. It's, it looks beautiful. It's beautifully shot. And then you just see little the little baby just looking at the Mandalorian, seeing that he's in pain, wanting to help him, coming out of his little crib, like you said, and just walking up to it. And you just cannot help but just, you know, fall in love with that little baby Yoda right there, seeing him walk over there lift his hand up to his arm, wanting to help. And like you said, Kyle, the Mandalorian doesn't know it, but I totally agree with you where he was going to use the force to heal him. He knows he's in pain. He just seems like the force is just a natural ability that he knows to use when there's a need for it. And he wanted to help him out here. Not once, but twice he gets out wanting to help him. And just mm -hmm. seeing the Mandalorian picking him up, putting him back in, you know, closing the lids, make him go to sleep. I just love that stuff. That you know, we're talking about having a lot of heart in this series, and this was that scene was a perfect example of that. It was just so great, and then it just made that moment even more special when you at the end where you see Baby Yoda use the Force, and you know, I said it in a tweet, and you said it early on too, Kyle, how it just felt magical. This episode mm -hmm. encompassed that. You throw in that scene I was just talking about that quiet moment with uh, the little baby and the Mandalorian, you know, heal, healing his wound, and then just seeing. Yoda used the force, the baby Yoda used the force. It was just, it felt magical and so earned. And just the way afterwards, you know, it, it took, you know, everything out of him. He was just, you know, knocked out for the rest of that night until they were ready, until the ship was repaired and he was ready to leave. But I also just love how the Mandalorian was kept checking on him, making sure he was all right and that he was just sleeping, shaking the crib a little bit, making sure he was still all right. Did that a few times. And just those little things that, again, is selling that bond that they these two characters have already and i think it's only going to get better and you know it's sad to say i think there's going to be some rough moments coming up between them where you know like i said he either has to say goodbye or when he gives them back to the client 
and we might see them do some, you know, stuff we don't want to see done to a poor baby Yoda <laughs> that's going to, you know, Mandalorian will probably get word of it and then he'll have to go rescue it. Or at least that's how I see it playing down. I think, again, it could just fit that narrative of, you know, him. They're having that close relationship already, but maybe he doesn't want to admit it, but he cares so much for that baby already. And then he knows that the baby Yoda looked out for him. And if anything's going to happen to the baby, he in turn will do the same. But I think we just might get that later on as the season goes on. But there's just so much to love about this episode. Like I said, it was just a perfect half hour of live action Star Wars television. That yeah. mm-hmm. I couldn't have asked for more. <laughs> I mean, going back to what I said about the first episode, how that and how I enjoyed the heck out of that episode, but the ending took it to another level. Well, this episode took things to a whole nother level even after that <laughs> i mean i just loved it so much everything about it it was just so so good i mean this the mandalorian so far is you know more than what i could have hoped for live yeah. action star wars on television just in this single episode right here and it just makes me excited more excited for what's to come later down the line for stuff that's probably going to be different than what this episode um felt like and it's going to be great on its own merits too just feeling totally different but yet feeling like great live action Star Wars. And I just can't see how all these episodes, you know, of course they're going to be varying to degrees as far as which one we're going to be up to this level, but the standard has been set already. And I think there's still opportunities for episodes to be even better, better than this one. And I just mm-hmm. can't wait to find out and to see them all. Yeah. I, uh, so I have, a, I have a couple things. And first of all, I, I Tim, you nailed it. Everything you said about this is, is perfect. And I I have to add a couple things. One, I, I'm curious what you thought about the beginning of the episode with the Trandoshans, um, because I know you had said before in that picture that the still picture looked very just kind of I don't know about this with the well, they with, looked like toys <laughs> in that picture. I mean, right, right. But a lot of people were were saying I don't know about this, and I remember telling people let's see him move in motion. I loved that whole part. I think that's a beautiful, beautiful scene right oh, there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Action scene. And I but, figured but, it would look better in, in action once we actually saw the episode. It just, you know, for whatever right. reason, the lighting or the staging or whatever of that still image they released did look like action figures. Right. But, I, which I would agree. That's why I was like, I'm going to wait and see it. But I love these vibro axes. Mm-hmm. And did you guys notice that there, there was something around the vibro axe? So we never really saw it in the in the Return of the Jedi with the vibroaxes, but with this, because I always wondered why would you ever go up against a vibroax with like a lightsaber or something like that? Because it's just a metal object. Well, this had like the like something around the axe itself, and I go, oh, maybe that's what they've always had. I maybe I just didn't realize it that it always had some kind of like force field kind of a thing with it so um do you guys see that do you guys notice that yeah i mean that seems like more of you know maybe kind of a dave filoni edition i mean i feel like we've seen that a lot more now with star wars i mean even from like the the electro staffs that the magna guards have in uh episode three and now like the purge right. troopers have that in jedi fallen order and um oh i forget have we seen a character with a vibro sword I feel like we have not, I, not. Well, I don't know. Did did we? I don't think we have yet. Have we? 
Yeah, I see it. Part of it was to say we have, but yeah, I feel Clone like Wars we have Rebels somewhere. It it probably not, was in it's Rebels. Whole, it's, wait, it's not Shadows. Uh, the 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 uh, ILM uh, 3D game is it? No. There's an ancient like thing like that in that in that game at the very end. Probably. Yeah, but that's an actual lightsaber, I think. Is it though? Yeah, yeah. It's oh, some okay. kind of it's some kind of ancient lightsaber. Um, but regardless, yeah, I, I did. Uh, I mean, I I noticed that you know they were energy weapons essentially. Um, which I feel like we've seen in other areas of Star Wars up to this point. Um, but I, I will say this. The one thing I don't... My only gripe about the Trandoshans is I think they look a little too human. Um, I mean, even mm. if even if you compare them to Bosk, who was an actual actor in a suit, but also compared to, you know, the Trandoshans that we've seen in Clone Wars, their faces are a little more flat. Like, they don't have that snout. Um, that Trandoshans usually have. And so they look a little bit more like, like it looks like a human in a lizard costume. It doesn't quite look like that full, like reptilian alien. Um, but I also really did like that. They make the same noises that you hear them Mm -hmm. make in those Clone Wars episodes. So, um, I thought that was a nice touch and overall just a, a cool action scene. Agreed. Oh yeah, and and one last thing Regard, regarding the the runtime. I'm wondering do you think every episode's going to be around a half hour or I'm curious if because these episodes were back to back maybe that they were they separated them on purpose perhaps? Like like maybe they're they kind of said, "You know what? Let's blend them together or what's the uh, Let's kind of take the first two episodes or take the first episode and maybe kind of extend it out a little bit to kind of, you know, to release two in one week or whatever. Or do you think it's mm. going to be basically 30 to 40 minutes every episode? I think this is kind of probably what we should expect between mm. 30 to 40. I mean, I would love it if it was like 45 to 50. But yeah, like you said, it just depends on what the episode and the story needs to tell it because when I first saw the runtime of 30, I'm just like, Oh, wow. What? You gotta be kidding me. But it felt perfect. <laughs> after what yeah, it was exactly. Yeah, yeah, I've seen people true, complaining true. about it, but I'm like, if you actually watch the episodes, I don't feel like they need to be any longer. And I think part of that too, is if you think about other star Wars stories, or if you think about even other TV shows, like to make the obvious comparison, game of Thrones, all of those episodes are an hour, but every episode has so many different storylines and so many different characters um, with the exception of maybe like one episode per season where, you know, the entire episode is a giant battle or something. But even then you're usually, you know, there's multiple kind of sub stories going on within that and multiple characters that we're following. And in this so far, we're just following the Mandalorian. Um, and he meets other characters along the way, but we don't have any, there haven't been any scenes that have just followed Kuil or baby Yoda you know nobody's really got their own subplot going on it's just him so I don't think we need you know more time than the time that we've gotten already to just tell his story you know and that's true and I've already said too I, I I've, I've liked the fact that they've kind of they're setting their own rules and maybe they might be setting up a whole example of what to expect in um in, in streaming in general that there's, there, you, you can make your own rules and you don't have to do the traditional 
half hour, excuse me, hour long uh, thing. But uh, but like you said, like I, I'm just curious where it's going to go. I think to be I know it's going to be stupid and I'm, it may probably reveal the hot, what, what the length of the next episode is. But I'm curious what the next because I think the next episode will kind of will be the true litmus test of where to expect each episode to fall. Because we've gotten the 37 with the 30 minute. If it falls in between those two, then yeah, you're, you guys were on the money. But if it's all of a sudden like over forty <laughs> like minutes episode, yeah, we, yeah, it's, then I it's don't just going to be I mean, like we, we don't know, yeah, yeah. So which again is, but one of the things I, I like about it is that how rewatchable everything is. I mean, yes, Star Wars is all rewatchable, but when they're that short, let's take the Clone Wars episodes, you can plow through it pretty quickly. Like I rewatch these two episodes like, literally all the time now because mm-hmm. <laughs> they're so short. I can just what, you know, oh, I, got, I got an hour to kill. I'll watch Mandalorian. And like, like right now, why have we been talking? I've been rewatching the episodes as we talk <laughs> and, and it's been, you know, it's been great. Yeah. And, so I don't know. I, I think that there's there's a benefit to this because when you want to rewatch a bunch in a row, it's not going to be a whole all day thing. It's going to be about a movie, maybe a, a little over, you know, almost two movies. Yeah, it'd be a, a Lord of the Rings extended edition movie, but yeah, you know. that's not bad. Yeah, you could. Re- yeah, at the end of the season, you could probably rewatch the whole thing in like four to five hours. Yeah, and I think there's something to, to be said about that. And I think again, maybe the Mandalorian is going to be a trendsetter. You know, what did what did George always say about Star Wars? You got to be pushing the envelope, to always doing different things. And I think the Mandalorian, from a I obviously a special effects standpoint, but I think it could be setting up a whole new example potentially with the setup and how they stream and length and things like that and storytelling. So. But again, I think the next couple episodes, especially especially the next one, as far as the length wise, will really kind of show what they're going for. Because I I find it very fascinating that Dave or uh, John Favreau would write the season as half hour increments. So, but yeah, we'll we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, we will. Um, but man, yeah, I just I I love everything we've gotten from it so far, and especially after that second episode. Um, I mean, like I said, for me, it was like episode one was good, but I was like, okay, good start, but let's see where they go from here. And then episode two was like, okay, well, if this is where we're going from here, then we're in good hands. Um, so can't wait to keep watching the show on a weekly basis and see, uh, you know, what they're able to keep churning out. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very happy and very impressed with it so far. Oh, and couple of, just a couple other things I wanted to mention real quick. Um, I mean, we talked about, like, the cinematography and the visual effects and just how fantastic the show looks. I love that they did a puppet for Baby Yoda, um, which, again, is kind of a no-brainer because with with Star Wars, you know, especially with the Disney Star Wars, they've been trying to really keep that balance of, like, the practical effects and using that as much as they can. But um, I think that just adds to the charm and the magic of it, seeing that it's a a puppet just like... um, like Yoda was in the original trilogy. And for me, honestly, I don't know why, but the scenes where you can obviously tell that it's a puppet are like that much more endearing. Um, yeah. It just adds to the charm. Yeah. yeah it it's does. like, that is Absolutely. one, that is one freaking cute puppet. Um, and then also I, I briefly mentioned the music before earlier, but Ludwig Goranson knocked it out of the freaking park with this show. 
um, just it's like a the soundtrack is just that perfect blend of it sounds like Star Wars, but it sounds different and it is totally Western. I mean, this show is is more space Western than Firefly even. Um, it, it really feels like you're watching a Western movie in space and the, the music really enhances that. But it's got those Western themes. It's got those Star Wars themes. And then it's got moments of just like kind of sci-fi weirdness where he's just kind of doing his own thing. Um, but it just all blends together perfectly um, and complements just the, the look and feel of the show so perfectly. Um, and it's just one more element that just makes it so great. So, um, yeah, it's really – after two episodes, I feel like it's already just firing on all cylinders, and I can't wait to see uh, where they go with it. Yeah, I think the music, it fits really well with the series. I can't say, like, I'm totally over the moon with it. I don't hate it at all. It's just mm. – I, I love the main theme of the Mandalorian that plays, like, during the credits and mm-hmm. the first piece of music you hear at the beginning. That's great. And um, But, again, it – it fits. That's all I could really ask. It's different than, you know, what John Williams does, obviously. And certain moments, I got to be honest, it kind of felt like it's missing a little that John Williams feel. But at the same time, mm. it's something, you know, this is a different way we're experiencing live action Star Wars now. So I'm experiencing, you know, I got, I'm expecting different types of music to go with it. But like you said, Kyle, it has that Western feel to it too that I think it needs mixed in with the sci fi element. I just, which has a little more of that John Williams feel at certain moments. I don't want it to be exactly mm. like it, but just a little bit. I mean, that's me, but it's it's definitely good. Mm. Well, now I want to hear mm. Paul's thing because he agrees you like with a you. Chamberlain from Dark Crystal. Like <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, repos- I'm repositioning my microphone. I apologize. Uh, so I was like you, Tim with the music i was not necessarily sold on it at first and 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 ludwig i forgot his last name i'm really bad at pronouncing things he has done the creed films he's also done black panther and i like his score for black panther it's one of the better marvel scores that wasn't done by alan silvestri and for those who don't know i'm a giant marvel fan and i have watched those films a lot and I can tell you that most of their scores are terrible or very, very forgettable, except for Alan Silvestri, Avengers team. Uh, first Guardians of the Galaxy score was really good, too. Uh, I agree, disagree. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think the music that James Gunn picked was perfect, but that's the, the, the different thing. So w- with Ludwig, I, I, I don't remember. I'm not a big Creed fan. I saw the first Creed. I thought it was fine. I, I know it had a lot of callbacks to Rocky. It's whatever. Um, listening to the first episode music when I was watching it, it, it was very hit and miss for me. I liked a lot of it at some points. At other points, I'm like, meh, this isn't really working for me. And the second episode, the music I thought hit a lot more. And I thought I was curious. I said to myself, that's interesting. Why would I? Because the music was very similar. But it just, it just, just, I liked it a lot more. Was I getting used to it? And I said to myself, and I'm not a big music score person, meaning I don't listen to scores of TV shows or movies by themselves very much, unless I really, really like it or there's something very interesting. And I'm a musician. Like, I, I'm not saying that gives me like an entitlement to like, I know what I'm talking about because I not necessarily, not, not necessarily do, but I take the music very seriously. And, I'm, and I'm very much picky when it comes to what I listen to. 
And I, upon hearing the second or the music of the second uh, episode and liking it a lot more, I thought to myself, I didn't need to sit down and listen to what Ludwig is doing in that first episode. So I went and fired up the first episode's music and took a walk and listened to it. And I have to say, Tim, I liked it a lot more in isolation. And I thought to myself, you know what it is? Part of it's the mix. Part of it is a streaming mix because it gets buried really easily because a lot of the nuances in his music, at least in my opinion, it's lost when I listen to it by itself. And one of the benefits of having a Ludwig to a John Williams is that John Williams is old school orchestral, you know, true blue, right? Now, one of the things that I think that Ludwig is doing that differently than I think the most people following the, the the masterful John Williams is that Ludwig uses literally every kind of he does everything at the score. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and 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 that's something that I, I've noticed. He's he's very big on percussion. That's one another thing that I've really noticed with his scores with Black Panther. I thought it was more just a theme that he had because of the of the Wakanda nation that he chose to do more of a tribal kind of you know more of an African kind of feel. The drum line, think Paul Simon Graceland, if you will. And uh, but then again, I don't I don't know the Creed score very well. I'm not going to pretend I know that one. But listening to this and. Listen in isolation, a lot more percussion and a lot of really cool drum stuff in it. And again, a lot of like he uses regular strings to synthesizers to uh, there's a lot of electric guitar, which I'm not a fan of John Williams using. Williams does not know how to use electric guitar, in my opinion. Anytime I've heard it in Star Wars films, I'm like, nope, get that crap out of here. <laughs> it's not working. And yeah, I. I love what Ludwig is doing, and I I'll be, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say this: I think he's the future Star Wars composer. I don't think he's reached his full potential by any means, but I think he's got the talent. This dude is talented. And I, granted, you're playing movies, you know, writing movies, whatever music, you're gonna have to be talented. But I I right now I take him over G. Aquino. G. Aquino mm. is safe. He 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 he's good, but He's not going to do anything that's going to stand out. And I think that Ludwig has so much more potential than that. And I think the guy he did solo is very, very good too. But again, he's not doing anything I think that's like groundbreaking. I think Ludwig has potential to do something groundbreaking. Now, I know what some of the stuff he did in The Mandalorian, callbacks to Creed. There's a little bit of that Rocky theme and some of that stuff. But I love the 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 the, the end credit music, the the with the little flute thing and yeah. the, again mm-hmm. the crush the do, 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 do. oh it's great and i think that there are all the horns and, and a lot of didgeridoos and all that kind of stuff there's a lot of potential with ludwig that i think that he need and i think just after the second episode tim it really connected with me a lot more and i think he's just gonna get better and better and better every episode and i think that I think he's potential the future of Star Wars music, in my opinion. I really do. And, and just listening to his music isol- isolated, it made me co- think about how that mix that because let's be real, streaming music, streaming right now is just not as powerful as having physical media. It's eventually going to get there, but it's not there yet. And it takes a lot of power to generate good, you know, quality sound 
and, and I'm not, and, and I don't have a very good sound system on my TV. It's just the, the TV speakers. And so I just think that that, that is one element. And, and let's be real mixing in these films in, in these TV shows where you're, you're doing large sound effects and music it's really hard to get a good balance. It, that's why people win awards for mixing in the Academy Awards, right? Mm -hmm. It's not, it's, it's not, I mean, Kyle, you know this too. I mean, you work in this field. It's not easy. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's hard. Work. And it's so subjective. Like when you're working on mm -hmm. stuff like that, like I, I, I kind of like working on audio, but I also hate it sometimes because you'll like, I'll be listening to something while I'm working on a video or a movie or something. And, and I'm fine tuning it and tweaking it and get it to where I think it sounds good. And I get up and walk away and come back an hour later and listen to it. And I'm like, no, that's too quiet or that's too loud. Like, what the heck was I thinking? Um, it's so I don't know, it's it's so fine tuned and so, you know, subjective to a sense. Um, yeah, I, I don't think I could ever do that for I, I could never be like a Hollywood audio engineer. Um, yeah. And but I think but I'm curious what your take on the music is, Kyle. With are, is there anything that either one of us is resonating with you more, or are you in the middle? Like what where do you stand with the music? I'm very curious. Oh, I don't. Maybe you were out of the room for a second when I was talking about it at first, but I freaking I, love I, it. I apologize. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. Yeah, no, I I, I I I absolutely love it. I do hear what you're saying. Where I think I liked it more after I listened to the soundtrack by itself, and it's definitely. Um, cause I've, I think I've watched each of the first two episodes like three times at this point. Um, and I've also listened to the soundtracks for each episode and the music has just grown on me more and more. Um, but I think it did, you know, start resonating with me more after I listened to it the first time, but even just watching the, the episode for the first time, it was kind of striking, um, and was something that I liked about it. But again, it's just that main tune has just been like stuck in my head for the past couple days. And it's one of those songs that like gets stuck in your head and it's just playing on a loop. And it's almost annoying that you can't think of anything else. But the music is also so good that you're just like, eh, I'm fine. Yeah, with it. it's, um, it's, I, I think I think it's the beat. I think that. Yeah, that to me is is, is his drum. And that's where I think that Ludwig is, is, is going to really excel in Star Wars is that. Williams had percussion, don't get me wrong, but I mean, like Ludwig really gives gives a really interesting like beats and, and not like beats like you know stuff like that, but like again the drum lines and the and the percussion that he uses and again really interesting stuff. I think this is this is where Star Wars is headed in, in a way that it's going to be. Because again, there's some really, there's some crazy stuff in there that you hear. You're like, man, like this really crazy raw stuff that I'm mm -hmm. like, yes, like he's given his own, his own stamp on, on, on star Wars. And I don't think he'll be the only one. I think there'll be other people, but I think that there's, this is where I want star Wars to go in, in direction after John Williams, because you don't want, you want to set up your own style. John Williams has his own thing. Ludwig is doing his, and I love what he's doing with the Mandalorian. And, and again, it's growing on me. I didn't love it at first, but it's growing on me. Yeah. yeah I, guess now, I think I'm definitely going to have to listen just to it on its own. It's on Spotify, right? I believe I saw. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah. Are on there. Okay, so I have to just listen to it by themselves. Yeah, and there, there's see if like, it grows on me that way. There's like a, a each al each episode so far has its own soundtrack album that's like eight or nine tracks. That's um, cool. Yeah, so it's cool that they're releasing those that way too. I thought we were gonna have to wait until the end of the season to be able to listen to you know one long soundtrack album. So I was pleasantly surprised to see that there was music available already, like the day after the first episode came out. Um, 
but uh, yeah, no, I'm loving. It. Oh, but Paul, I was gonna say, I I don't think I would go so far as to agree with you that um, I would pick. I I don't know if I had to pick one or the other. If I would pick Ludwig over Michael Giacchino, because I also love his score for Rogue One, but. It's, it's two completely different things. I do think Giacchino played it more safe and a little bit closer yeah. to what John Williams did, but so did Rogue One. Like, that was a movie that was very clearly trying to emulate what they did with A New Hope because it's feeding right into that. Um, and so thematic, like, it, it, there's a lot of stuff thematically and stuff that that kind of, I feel like, should line up with that because you're telling kind of part of the same story with the rebellion against the Empire and... Uh, you know, these these heroic characters and stuff, whereas the score that Ludwig is doing for The Mandalorian, it's weird, it's alien, it's, you know, Western, it's this completely different outlaw part of the galaxy that we haven't really seen before. So he's doing something new and different, but I feel like that's also where the story is going, and it just fits that perfectly. Um, so I don't know, I, I love both of them, but... I would love to, you know, if he wants to do more Star Wars stuff in the future, I'm totally fine with that. But also if they want to have him just stick to the Mandalorian and have him keep doing the music for that for however many seasons this series ends up running and he wants to just have that be his thing, I'm cool with that too. It's fair. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's that's all I can think of to, to gush about with The Mandalorian for now until we get a new episode. By the way, I mentioned on our – I think I mentioned this on our last episode that, um, you know, we as all the, the Star Wars hosts of the Thunderquack Network um, are doing a show called Faster, More Intense that is focused on just the live-action uh, Star Wars series. Um, I think we're just doing streaming series. I don't know if Mike is going to try to also use that for like movie reviews and stuff, but obviously we're going to be doing our own movie reviews on here. Um, but we, we kind of switch up hosts every week, um, and we'll be reviewing every episode of the Mandalorian on there. And, uh, this weekend for episode three, I think Paul, you're going to be on that one with me and Matt, right? Yeah, I, 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 to be honest, I need to just check my, my availability, but yeah, I want to be around and and do that because, the Mandalorian is, is, is again, Rogue One's the last thing that I've probably been this excited over. Or, no, excuse me, Solo. I'm thinking of. Solo was probably the last thing I got really excited over, but I might like The Mandalorian more than both those things, which is saying a lot at this point. And, but granted, it's only just an hour into its storyline, and mm-hmm. there's, a lot of, there's a lot of room for me to be disappointed or not like as much or... You know, for better or for worse, I, I just don't know. But right now, the Mandalorian has got me so stoked. I'm 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 ready to talk about this anytime, all the time. So, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna jump on. I'm hoping that third episode with you guys this week. So yeah, yeah. So because as I said before, we're probably not gonna have time to do an episode of our show for every episode of the Mandalorian. But we'll definitely. This also is not gonna be the last time we talk about it by any stretch. So, um, we'll keep talking yeah. about it throughout the season. But also, if you're looking for, um specific episode reviews um i'm sure they've probably already got a couple up by now uh with mike and matt and whoever else has been doing them um but then paul and i will be on there soon and then um tim i know you signed up for a couple of them as well so you can hear us on there with some of the other thunderquack hosts uh talking about the mandalorian um and doing specific episode breakdowns um but before we wrap up of course we've also got to talk about jedi fallen order um and, uh, you know, obviously we're not going to go into story spoilers. Well, we kind of can't because none of us have finished the game yet. Um, 
but uh, yeah, I think I'm the farthest along out of the three of us. But like I said, this was just also something where it was really cool to see a new Star Wars thing come out and just see it get positive reviews, especially as as a gamer and as somebody who loves Star Wars games. Um, and, you know, with all the, the controversy that EA has had with the franchise so far, it was just so nice to see a Star Wars game come out get good reviews, no controversy, no loot boxes, no complaining about lack of content or, you know, anything like that. Like, they promised a single-player Jedi action game, and that's exactly what they delivered. And I am having a heck of a lot of fun with this game so far. Um, Like you, Paul, I was also playing it tonight before we jumped on, um, and I actually got on a few minutes late because I was about to wrap up and I'm thinking, all right, I checked my map and saw there was a save spot right around the corner. And I thought I'm going to get to that point and save it and get off. And I rounded the corner and got ambushed by a surprise mini boss fight, um, and ended up having to stay on a few more minutes. And then I ended up getting killed anyway. So I had to go back to my last save point and I'm like, Oh, I'll get those guys later. Um, but just, I mean, from what I've played so far, the story is fantastic. The characters are really intriguing. I will say, without giving anything away, the second sister is probably my favorite Inquisitor that we've had so far, which I was not expecting because I thought she was just going to be another generic, you know, red lightsaber force wielder. Oh, we got an Inquisitor because we can't fight Vader. Um, do you fight Vader in the story? I don't know. haven't gotten that far. Um, I know there's spoilers out there, but I have thankfully managed to not be spoiled on anything. So I'm really excited to, uh, you know, just finish the story out and find out what happens. Um, but also kind of trying to take my time with it a little bit. Like, I don't want to rush through it because it's a pretty lengthy game. I've heard it takes about 20 hours to beat. So um, I know some people that have already beaten that in the first weekend. But, um, you know, it might take me like a couple weeks to beat or something like that. But um yeah i don't know i mean i know we've all talked about it before but uh what are you know some of you guys initial thoughts and what are you enjoying about the game so far yeah i'm liking it a lot so far especially just the presentation of the game like it looks amazing i mean playing it on an xbox one x that just right when the first level loads up it just blew me away <laughs> that you know it's that scrapyard of seeing old republic ships and separatist ships then you see clone helmets battle droid parts spread around the level just awesome <laughs> to see the character models look great the cutscenes play out nice it's just it's a really really great looking game so well we kind of knew that going in already from the trailers so i was really curious to get my hands on you know the controls and start playing with the lightsaber combat and the mechanics on how that works and it's one of those things where it seems simple at first, but you know it's going to be a difficult thing to master and to perfect and to get you know really good at it. And because I will say this off the bat, it's a lot more challenging than I was expecting. I'm hearing a, comparisons to the Dark Souls games, which are I've never played them, but I know they're notorious for being extremely hard. And maybe this game's not quite on that level, but it's definitely I've died a lot more times than I was expecting. I do feel some enemies are a little overpowered, namely some of the creatures you fight. <laughs> Because compared to your damage and so like maybe two hit two or three hits they get you and you you end up dying, so that one kind of took me by surprise a little bit. That element of the game, it's not a deal breaker at all. It's still fun to play, but I will say I think I, you know, to quote Luke, I took a wrong turn and went to Dathomir, <laughs> <laughs> maybe sooner than I should have because you get a point where you get to choose where you want to go, and that right away 
I chose Dathomir because, you know, it's a planet that I recognize. I want to see how it looks in the game because it's a oh, really so, cool looking planet. Wait, so you hadn't heard about any of this beforehand? No. Oh, okay. Yeah, no, Dathomir, if you go early, you're supposed to get your butt kicked. Yeah. But you, <laughs> the reason the they give way. you the option to go early is to get that specific bonus thing that we were talking about. Which I did get, and then, like I told you already, Kyle, I got it, then I forgot to use it. <laughs> the remainder of the level, so I was still dying. But I got my butt kicked on Dathomir. Got to be honest, I was getting a little frustrated. Like, man, this was really expected to be like this. And I thought I chose it. I was looking, because in certain games, it tells you the difficulty level like of the location you're going to go. If it's one of those mm. games, you can choose what, you know, what planet or level you want to choose. It'll tell you, you know, it's like a two-star difficulty, three-star difficulty, four-star. And maybe I just missed it, but I didn't see that anywhere when you're choosing your location. Well, there's no difficulty rating, but I think just kind of from the story and, like, the dialogue with the characters on your ship, I think yeah. they do, They at least for me, and I had already kind of read about this. Like, I didn't read anything spoilery, but just through interviews and stuff, like, I knew that you get. I had read that you get the option to go to Dathomir early, but be careful because it's hard. But if you do go, there's something really <laughs> cool that you can find. Um, but even like when you're on the ship with your characters and you, they give you the option to go to the two planets. They're like, yeah, you know, the next temple thing is on Zepho, but you know, we could go to Dathomir, but it, uh, you know, it's scary there. Like it's dangerous, so be careful. And so I think you know that's supposed to kind of be your indication that like that might be going off the beaten path a little bit and that that might be a bit tougher. I know Zepho was the place you should probably go next for the story to continue and progress the way they want you. But I just wanted to see that. To me. <laughs> <laughs> like, I didn't think it'd be, you know, cause since they give you the freedom to go, it shouldn't, you know, change the direction of the story too much, but I was not prepared for the difficulty level, but it definitely made going through Zepho maybe easier than I would have just going straight there because I didn't have any trouble on that planet. Mm -hmm. But that was a lot of fun. And then going through that temple, trying to solve some of the puzzles there. It definitely, you know, I heard the comparisons of how, you know, I it's going to be kind of like Zelda. Uncharted definitely has an Uncharted feel with the way you're, you climb walls and explore a lot of your surroundings. Then there's, um, I heard there's going to be some Metroid elements to it where you have to backtrack and you can't make it past certain areas, so you get certain items. So all those comparisons are very accurate. I like how some people are calling that Metroid, and I've never played a Metroid game, but it's reminding me of Lego Star Wars. <laughs> uh, I guess you can make that comparison, but yeah, definitely Metroid is one of the first, though. <laughs> That's why it gets that comparison. But yeah, so all that stuff is great, and then you mix it in uh, you know, with force moves and your lightsaber abilities. So yeah. I'm having fun with it, minus my one night of frustration going through Dathomir, but I was <laughs> determined to get through that, so I made it through there. But I know I'm going to have to go back, and hopefully I'll be better prepared this time. Oh, yeah. Well, you, yeah. Can't, you can't even fully progress through the whole planet exactly. before you go anyways. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I, I, the story, I'm pretty early into it, but I, I'm digging it. So far, it's not something entirely new, and I said this when it was first announced, how we've kind of seen the story before about, you know, a former Jedi Padawan who's getting back into, you know, recognizing himself as a Jedi. We've seen it with Kanan during Rebels, so there's still some elements of that, but I know there's probably going to dive into some deeper things, and I'm already seeing a little bit of that. So I'm definitely looking forward to see where the story goes from, you know, how early on I'm at with it. But, um, yeah, so far it's shaping out to be really, really fun, and I can't wait to get more into it. So um, I'm enjoying the heck out of it so far. 
Yeah, I I've only played a little bit. I'm I'm the the least as farther than all you guys. I'm I'm really behind. But that's kind of by design. I'm not spending hours on it either. I, I really want to. I honestly try to. I'm trying to make this last as long as to Rise of Skywalker <laughs> as possible. And I think I'll actually make it because I'm I'm busy doing you know obviously other podcasts, other shows I'm watching and comic books and yada 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 all that jazz. But I, I so I think I'll be able to really extend that out. I, I played Spider Man. For a long, 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 long time. <laughs> it took you a good while to beat that one, yes. <laughs> but, but again, I wanted to, but just like, just like that game, Tim, I want to enjoy Fallen Order. So it's it's not because I was like being lazy. I just, I really wanted to save it to like enjoy it. And I'm glad I did, to be honest, because I felt I got a lot out of it, you know. Uh, that being said, I'll probably get through Fallen Order a little bit, bit sooner, but but yeah, I've been really impressed with everything. Uh, I think Respawn has done a great job so far. I, I think that, again, I'm not a gamer. I've only started gaming in the last five years, thanks to you guys. And I am learning, I learn new things about the gaming world as I as I go with, as I play video games and watch things about it and talk to you guys and other friends and and whatnot. But one of the things I thought was interesting is when I play this game, I'm such a, I feel like such a noob. I'll be like, oh, this reminds me of Spider-Man, the Spider-Man game. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and, and so, because again, it's just like, there's other games that are like it that will use the, the cut scenes and, and integrate it with the, the, with the, with the actual gameplay a little bit where it kind of goes between the two. And it's really impressive. I think it, it's done a great job of integrating those things. And I really feel immersed into the world of star Wars. And I think that I, and I love battlefront too. And I, and I feel like I'm in, I'm on the battlefront. I really do. And I feel I'm in the game. That's why I love playing the game as, as much as I do. I played a lot, but with this, with Fallen Order, I really do, as of right again, as of right now, very limit, very limited time I've spent on it. I really do feel I'm immersed, and I feel in the universe of Star Wars. I thought that opening sequence with uh, him on I forgot what planet it was, um, but the the planet where they're, they're deconstructing the uh, Clone Wars ships and whatnot. Oh yeah, on uh, Bracca. Bracca, yeah, thank you. Uh, that whole train sequence, it, it, I just felt immersed in Star Wars. I really felt I was part of the action. And I, I and I don't say that lightly. I really don't. And I really felt that it was really well done. It looks phenomenal. I thought the, the gameplay has been really impressive so far. Um, I think that, that it is challenging. And I, I'm glad it is. I want it to be challenging. Because I think that what we remember what the Force is. It's a muscle. People want to say it's oh it's so spiritual and it is. That's an aspect of Star Wars. That's an aspect of the Force, but it's also a muscle, and that's something that George was very firm on. Um, that you can't just not use a Force for you know let's say you're a Jedi Master and not use the Force for ten years. You have atrophy. You're not going to be like oh here I am moving things around. Oh you know I'm I'm a superhuman doing super speed and Phantom Menace again right off the bat. No, no, no. Like when Yoda uses the force and the Empire Strikes Back, it takes a lot out of him. And there's and again, go back to the midichlorians, there is a reason that is a muscle and that they are a physical attribute to that, right? 
So I think with Cal, there is a little bit of that. And I think there's him remembering and, and things like that, that you get stronger in the force. I like that idea that he's remembering and learning learning this stuff again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He's not just picking it up like, oh, oh, it's right. I'm a Padawan. I can do these backflips and all this other stuff. Like, no, 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 no. It took him, it takes him a little bit of time. Yeah, he has some force ability, but he's not just like, you know, kicking butt, taking names right off the bat. Like, it, it's, again, part of the game is relearning these things. I like that. I think that's, again, sticking to what, what the consistency of what a Jedi and the force users and all that stuff. So, I really like it. I recommend it to people. If you're on the fence of getting it, I, I really think if you want to immerse yourself in Star Wars, definitely pick it up. If you are if you want like a, a roaming, uh, you know, what what's the word? What's the word I'm looking for? The uh, open world gaming and free roam. And yeah, all that well, it's, stuff. It's yeah, definitely not open world, but yeah, there's it's not that. there is which a I lot. find refreshing, to be honest. Yeah. And, and yet there's still room to explore off the beaten path. There's a lot of stuff to collect. Um and uh yeah just a lot of room for exploration but it's also does kind of have a bit of a straightforward narrative i mean it's a good balance of the two um but yeah it's it's really good really well done um i'm like i said i'm loving the story so far and even like you were saying tim like it's we've seen this before as far as like a jedi uh a jedi padawan you know on the run after order 66 but i think the story is presented in a way that this really is kind of a unique take on it that we haven't seen before um, and just with with Cal and the characters that he interacts with, especially like him and Seer is like this sort of new master and apprentice dynamic that we haven't really seen before. Um, so well, I I got to I got to say how much I love BD one, too. He's oh, already of become course. one of my favorite droids in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, he's a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, you know, it's it's just fun unlocking new force powers, getting new upgrades for BD-1 that let you access new areas and do new and cool things in the game. So, um, yeah, we'll probably talk about this one some more, too. Maybe after we've all beaten it, we can do like a full, you know, spoiler review of the story or something like that. But you're um, probably going to have to do that one without me. So I'll probably only be halfway through the game by the time you guys. <laughs> yeah, are, probably. Like, so so what I could do is I could like show up for half the episode. Be, all right, guys, see you later. And then, <laughs> and when you guys get to the other stuff. So, yeah, Man, you never know. You never and know. then you can come back and listen to what Tim and I had to say about it after you've, yeah. you've beaten it like next year. <laughs> Yeah, um, it'll be like it'll be like old times. I'll yeah, be like on this podcast again. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, I mean, for now, just know that it's a great game. We're all enjoying the heck out of it. If you're on the fence about it, especially you know if you like Star Wars, but you maybe don't trust EA and have been burned in the past by some of the the pitfalls of some of the Star Wars games they've had so far. Um, I mean, this one hits the mark. Like. Again, they they delivered on their promise. It's all single player. It's a great story. It's great combat and exploration and stuff, and no microtransactions or DLC or anything like that. So um, definitely gets the full recommendation from us. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, before we wrap up here, uh, Tim, I know you put uh, the question out on social media to see what our listeners were feeling about the Mandalorian and Fallen Order. So uh, what did we get? Yep. Got a couple of responses on both of those. So as always, I'll start off with the Twitter responses. First up is Joshua at Kessel Runner 87 regarding the Mandalorian. He says it's so good. 
I seriously am so happy to finally have a live action Star Wars series and excited to hear your guys' thoughts. Well, hopefully you enjoyed our lengthy discussion on it, Joshua. I'm glad um, you enjoyed it as much as we did, it seems like. And then Chris McGuffin at The Curse of Chris says, visually stunning, and it kept me engaged throughout. Perfect for a streaming platform because I'd question how well this would do on actual TV. So that's interesting because I like to think mm. how good it is. It would you know, be well-received and do great no matter what it's on, but maybe just you know, the state of network TV now <laughs> might streaming is the best way to get the most audience and eyes on it as far as network tv goes so but i don't know i'd like to think it'd do good no matter where it's at just because of how well made it is <laughs> no matter where it's airing but definitely glad with where it's at on disney plus and mm -hmm. regard with the numbers it had is what 10 million subscribers in one yeah, day, on day it seems one. like a lot of people are watching it so yeah which is awesome and then caleb Klingon at cable underscore Klingon five says I can't stop ranting and raving about it. Absolutely perfect first episode. I don't know how they could have kicked this off better, and I'm hoping this is going to be a great sign for the rest of the content we have headed our way over the next two months. What a time to be alive. And then Derek Beebe at Derek J. Beebe says, I loved it. I did not see that coming at all. Of course, referencing the great ending to the first episode with Baby Yoda. And then Rich Brockwell at Rich Brock says, the Mandalorian is awesome. A great blend of old school Western and samurai movies. And for Jedi Fallen Order, he says it plays really well, but he's only played a bit, but can't wait to see how it progresses. Great time to be a fan of the wars. And then Dylan Sparks at underscore five says regarding Jedi Fallen Order, it's great. The combat is a lot more difficult than I thought it would be, but that's not a complaint. I love the customization. A lot of people wanted to create their own character, but Respawn did a great job of letting us customize everything else. Love it. BD1 is also my new best friend. They did a great job of giving it personality. Yeah, that's another thing we didn't touch on too much, but I do like the customization aspects of your lightsaber mm -hmm. and even uh, your outfits that you get to wear. I wasn't expecting a lot of that. I haven't gotten too many, but I see a lot of open slots <laughs> for the outfits you can have for Cal. And then not to mention BD-1 and the ship for the Mantis, the designs you can have for it. So, mm -hmm. yeah, definitely like the customization aspects. Yeah, a lot of them are hidden in those crates you can't get yet. But, um, yeah, I mean, I've I've fully customized my lightsaber and everything. And, yeah, I love being able to do that, too. Though I will say I will never be changing my color from blue. <laughs> <laughs> Even though there's the green, there's the orange, but I'm always sticking with the blue. <laughs> yeah, I'm using a green one right now. So I orange for days just oh, see, for days you get the full color orange. spectrum because <laughs> at least where i'm at right now blue green and orange are the only colors i don't know if you unlock more later but hopefully you do i think it's i think it's just orange if i'm not mistaken which by the way a lot of people are complaining they're not getting their uh orange uh lightsaber uh, uh option hmm. and they pre-ordered it and i'm wondering i don't even remember I know that was an option for pre-order, but was it through GameStop only? No, because I got mine uh, on the Xbox Store. But I don't know if that was—I don't know if that was a pre-order or, or a deluxe edition. See, that's what I'm wondering because I, I got because I didn't. No, it has both. to be pre-order because I didn't get the deluxe edition and I got oh, the orange okay. color. Oh, so you got the orange color too, huh? Yep. Hmm. I've seen. I'll never use it. <laughs> wow, dude. Why are you so hateful? <laughs> I feel like I'd be betraying the blue color if I use any other one. I just can't. <laughs> By the way, can I just say that orange is a great color for a lightsaber, and I'd love to see that in Star Wars again. I used to be anti-multiple colors once the, the Legends came, you know, Ictionade, and 
I thought, you know, I kind of like the idea of just limited colors. But after a while, I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I kind of want an orange lightsaber. That would be kind of tight. So let's get that in here, huh? Let's get an orange lightsaber in here. Let's get Samuel yeah. Jackson to champion for orange color now. He has purple. Let's get him to get orange yeah, on the, in Canada now. <laughs> yeah. And then one more last response on Facebook from Brian V. Klein. He says, so far, both episodes of The Mandalorian have been excellent. 10 out of 10 for both. Just wish they were a little longer, but I would trade off extra time for filler. As far as Jedi Fallen Order, I started playing it Friday night, got as far as getting rescued off planet, then real life got in the way. But so far, I'm loving that as well. Great time to be a Star Wars fan. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, we've said that countless times over the years, but this moment we're in now, I think nothing epitomizes that saying more than <laughs> this last week we've had and what's to come over the re- remainder of 2019. That's for darn sure. Yeah. So definitely. much great stuff. I mean, the fact that we're getting all this and the rise of Skywalker comes out, I mean, we're recording this on Monday night. It comes out a week from Wednesday. Or, sorry, a month you from Wednesday. A month. month from Wednesday, not <laughs> a week say, from Wednesday. What? We're not that close yet. <laughs> Did um, it get pushed up and I didn't know about it? <laughs> no, but we've got a month till the new movie, and we've got new live-action Star Wars on TV. We've got a new video game with a great story, and, you know, that's a decent length, and, you know, you can enjoy that for a few weeks or whatever to fill the time, too. Um not to mention we've still got you know animated stuff too with resistance i'm even i've fallen a couple weeks behind on that at this point because i've been so focused on everything else um but yeah i mean you said it perfectly tim like we have said several times on this show that it's a great time to be a star wars fan but i don't know that that's ever been more true than it is right now totally yeah (laughs) yeah um but yeah thank you to all you guys for uh you know, chiming in with your thoughts on social media and everything. Um, if you want to reach out to us, you can find us online at uh, at Star Wars TSC on Twitter, uh, at facebook.com slash Star Wars The Saga Continues, and you can send us email at Star Wars TSC at gmail.com. You can check out our website at Star Wars TSC.com. Um, and uh, yeah, that's going to do it for now. We will be back soon with some more Star Wars goodness. Like I said, be sure to check out uh the faster more intense podcast for uh you know us talking more mandalorian soon um and we all you guys a uh force awakens commentary before the end of this month um and then we'll have lots of other good stuff coming up before the rise of skywalker in the next month or so so uh keep an eye out for that uh thank you for listening we will see you guys next time and may the force be with you see you next time everybody godspeed